headlines casual friday edition we're just that casual here this september 16th i hope everybody's having a great day already especially those of you that are to the east of me because it's way too early to be having a great day if you're on the west coast of the united states or maybe not maybe like ian runkle yesterday you've not slept at all and you're doing whatever you're doing and you're already having a fine friday and welcome friends because we are anything except formal this Friday, and we've got some doozies of some articles to talk about, including the very rare defense of big law coming from me. Obviously, I'm someone that was in uh, big law, and we're going to have to use these terms on a uh, respective basis because we're going to be talking about Michigan big law, which is not the same as New York big law or London big law, uh, but it has some of the same attributes. We're going to be talking about misconceptions and misnomers about exactly how these firms work, exactly what partners are interested in, the kinds of meetings I had behind closed doors, all of the, uh, uh, what would uh, what would EDB call it, T perhaps, on these kinds of things. So we can talk about why, yep, big law, just like any other industry, has some bad actors, does some bad things, does some good things, has some good actors, and putting everybody in a bucket and saying, ooh, this is dirty is maybe not the right way to think about or report on these things. But we'll also see how, at least in large part, the interview we're about to look at today is, to my understanding, in my view, politically motivated. And that's okay. You can be politically motivated. You can be political people. We try not to bring that into this space too much uh, because it's a idea, it's a concept that inflames passions. And we like to try to be as little inflamed as possible, right? Just like your doctor might tell you, if you're inflamed, it's a problem. And we think inflammation can be a problem here for both your physical attributes and your emotional ones. Like I said, folks, it's casual Friday. Buckle up. So where is everybody hanging out from? What have you all been doing the past two days? What news items, media that I haven't seen, video games, board games, I haven't played books I haven't read. What do you want to discuss? What do you want to talk about? I'm excited. I'm enthused to be here. As I said, happy Friday, everybody. As Janice says here, TGIF 100%. Could not be more excited about it being Friday. It's been a week for me, folks. I don't know if it's been a week for you, uh, but if it has, welcome to this space. I think we're going to have a fun time. We're going to sit back, relax, enjoy each other's company, and talk about some interesting things about law. Uh, oh, and maybe stealth edits for reports we might have talked about yesterday. I, I don't know. It might come up uh, in any event. Hello from Minnesota, says Caitlin. Hello, Minnesota. You have the undefeated college football team in the West of the Big Ten. Minnesota, looking good. The only one in that division. Absolutely wonderfully. Iris, I'm not fluffy. I'm inflamed. Laughing, crying emoji. Absolutely. It's just that kind of Friday. Power puff. Two coffee emojis, not one. Happy, happy Friday. Two happies, not one. What could be better? Two happies, two coffees. Get excited. Uh, let's see here. Talk about the business judgment rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's let's talk about fiduciary interests, the business judgment rule. Let's talk about all that good stuff. It'll be fantastic uh, because part of the interview today, and I know folks have heard me talk about this in this space, is that lawyering used to not even have advertisements and the clients would just walk in and we served something even higher than the rest of us. And why do we even need billboards or to tell people we exist? All these big law firms have made plenty of money. Why does anyone need to know that Hogue Law has a practice at all? Uh, and we'll have some fun talking about those kinds of things. That's my old partner uh, voice. It's maybe a little bit too, oh, I don't know, um, 
a little bit too serious, a little bit too gravitas filled uh, to what senior partners actually often sound like. But hey, what are we going to do? Uh, Andy Weldon says it's only fair. Hoglaw EDB did a hangouts and headlines of her own last night. Did she? <laughs> did she? I've actually been talking with Emily uh, about a few things behind the scenes, but uh, hopefully she's I think she's traveling today. She's having some safe travels. Uh, Ashley's here from Connecticut or it's just a safe word. She's just yelling out the word Connecticut. I think she's hanging out in Connecticut. No mandate says go blue, Hogla. That's right. We're playing the University of Connecticut, UConn, uh, this weekend. I'm not too terribly concerned about that. Sorry, Ashley. But should be fun. I love Michigan football, obviously. Hello from the kingdom of Malazan. Hello, LawTube subs. <laughs> Wonderful. Sardinisms. Morning from Ohio, Ho. Good morning, Ohio. Yesterday was a very long day, and I'm really clinging to the weekend tomorrow. Yep. I can't speak for everyone. This has been a week. Um, and I'm looking forward to Friday. I'm looking forward to this. I'm very happy to be here. Very happy to be here with, what, 300 of you at 7.38 a.m. in the Eastern time zone. Uh, that's just a lot of fun for me. All of these are always fun for me. And as Secret McSquirrel says, putting things in perspective, it's been a bit of a week for me as well. We know Secret McSquirrel. We are so glad to have you back. And uh, we, we are very sorry for all the travails that you have gone through. Uh, we are constantly wishing for you for the best and praying and doing all the rest. So thank you so much for being here. Let's get to the weekend. Us together, shall we? Hey, Yahog, says Ada. Nice timing. Just came from work. Smiley face. From Finland. Happy smiley face. Hello, Finland. That is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Britt says, Hogue, I do not mind people being political. However, I do tolerate when they are political and then they say, I'm just stating facts. I do not take political sides. You don't tolerate that, I assume. Not do tolerate. Uh, but yes, LOL. Yeah, well, that's one of the things we'll see in this interview. If you've already read ahead, it's this kind of like, I am not political at all. And here's 40 things I hate about the previous administration. It's like, hey, fair enough. You're, you're certainly allowed to, but I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. I'm going to take what you say from there with that understanding that, okay, you're likely to see the world in a very specific way. And you're likely to interpret the events that you see and the research that you do in that specific way. Um, and I think it comes out very, 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 very significantly in this interview. And I also think the interviewer lacks uh, the impetus to ask for details in certain things. Now it's a kind of book preview interview. So there's kind of an understanding that you're not going to give away all the secrets that might indicate that someone would want to buy the book. So we'll, 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 Cut some slack there, but you'll see what I mean when we get into those headlines. We we will. We'll get into them shortly, but I'm enjoying talking with everybody here. Caitlin's getting ready to bake my brother a blueberry cheesecake for his birthday tomorrow. I'm in. Where is it at? I've never had a blueberry cheesecake, but it sounds wild. Um, so I'm I'm coming. I'm 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 crashing the party. We're gonna be there. It's gonna be a fun time. Dupree says, Will there ever be a Grand Theft Auto 6? Yeah. We did a video on virtual legality side of things here uh, about Grand Theft Auto 6 still being three or four years away uh, and that a number of people left because they didn't think they were making enough progress and that the people that stayed said it's just nice that a company isn't demanding anything of them on deadlines uh, and there's complaints about management and all sorts of stuff. So you can go check out that video here in this space. I mean, preferably after this stream, uh, but please do check that out. Uh, Nicole says every week seems to be a week. Sometimes, sometimes being an adult, uh, running a law firm, having a YouTube channel, doing both those things at the same time, uh, trying to spend time with the family, who is fantastic. The Hogs are wonderful. And I am so blessed to be a part of this awesome family in this house. Finding enough time to do that when also you've done whatever, 12 or 13 hours of, 
of work and, and need to what I usually refer to as commute home uh, now, which is kind of rest and refresh um, as uh, has been tricky, has been tricky. But I found a new show that is not going to surprise anybody uh, because uh, it's a show that a lot of people have known about and that I'm often called. Uh, I've been watching Ted Lasso for the first time. Uh, I love Bill Lawrence's work. Scrubs is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time, maybe my favorite show of all time. Uh, and uh, Ted Lasso is fantastic. Um, it is utterly fantastic, and it is a delight. I don't use delight too often, although I probably use it more often than some. Uh, and it is a delightful show and uh, makes me feel good uh, after after basically every episode. So I highly recommend it. If you're feeling down or cynical, it is an excellent show to kind of try to uh, cleanse some of those feelings. Most of you probably already know this, uh, and I apologize for the very, very late recommendation. Uh, but I didn't have Apple Plus or TV Plus or whatever they call their TV shows at this point uh, until this past week as we do rotations on and off of the various services. And uh, it was a revelation to me. So highly recommended. Check it out if you like optimism, if you like joy. Uh, it's uh, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice. Uh, let's see here. Kelly says, anyone else's weather this summer or winter just being weird? Um, so far, so good here in Michigan, I think. But I know that there's been a lot of heat waves and a lot of various different things happening across the country. But Michigan's been pretty, pretty untouched. Uh, Daydreaming Pixie says, UK here. Finished work for three days. Yes. Three-day weekend. Eating an ice cream in bed. And I have no intention of moving for some time. You know, I think this is actually the ideal uh, demographic for the uh, Hogalaw YouTube channel, Casual Fridays, Hangouts and Headlines edition. We'll work on fitting that onto a mug. Uh, catching up with the YouTube, liking and subscribing. Thank you so much. Yeah, hit all those fun buttons. I always appreciate it. If you don't feel like hitting those buttons, don't hit those buttons. It's Casual Friday. I'm not going to make you hit any buttons. Happy Friday from Simi Valley, says Mary Resnick. Uh, good evening from Japan, as always. Waiting for my Indian food to arrive. I like to think that every time you are otherwise hanging out, you are in Japan waiting for Indian food to arrive. Uh, I love it. I love it. Good morning. Good morning from Alabama. Uh, the number one team in college football had a bit of a scare against Texas last weekend, but I think they'll be just fine. Kelly Marie buckles up. I did say buckle up, but again, no orders in casual Friday land. If you don't want to buckle up, that's up to you. Uh, but we've got some we've got some stuff to talk about. Uh, Mrs. Hoglaw, co-counsel, pretty stoked about laying in bed eating an ice cream. I, I know she is unfortunately not doing that this morning, uh, but uh, sounds like it would be a good idea. Um, let's see here. Nicole says old partner voice is an excellent one. Yeah, it might return uh, during doing these interviews. I find myself doing more voices in both virtual legality and hangouts and headlines. Uh, the only thing I prevent myself from doing is terrible, terrible accents because they are terrible and terrible. The only thing... I think I ever even attempt is kind of a weak Australian when I'm saying things like Melbourne. And that's just trying to get it closer to where our good friends in Australia will accept an American saying their city names like I do. Uh, Ashley Zaccardi says, I'd love to know why you think LawTube seems reluctant to cover Alex Jones. I feel y'all could do a lot of help to the public to understand that Alex isn't in kangaroo court. It's his own fault he's here. Uh, it's, it's, not really my, it's not really my purview. Um, I can't speak to everybody else, right? Because court cases and trials and litigation is what they do. Um, they are those kinds of lawyers. I'm a business lawyer. 
corporate lawyer, do mergers and acquisitions. I help form and fund companies. I do all that good stuff. I give the whole elevator pitch uh, if you wanted, but we got to be careful. We don't want anybody to think they're clients right now and hangouts and headlines, although the Bar Association <laughs> looking at this, which does regulate our practice, put a pin in that it's an important note when we get to the interview, um, would perhaps not take too terribly seriously this particular video if they saw the beginning and otherwise we're following along. Uh, let's see here. Uh, brains says Mary, which is a great time to once again confirm if you're enjoying Lawyers and Dragons, if you're saying, what the heck is Lawyers and Dragons? It is on again tomorrow, Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern. We are just about done, I think. I'm not the GM. Uh, with Magic School, and we're about to get started saving some trees. I will try to make that even more epic with some kind of trailer voice. We'll hire the guy that does the uh, the honest trailers uh, to put together one of these for Lawyers and Dragons. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Um, and uh, if you're interested in all of that, all of us are going to be getting together again tomorrow. There's already a placeholder up. You can, I don't know what you can do with you. You can wish list that. You can ask for it to send you a text message. I don't know. We'll go we'll, tell folks that you're interested in that. Check it out. And uh, we'll go from there. Um uh, Ashley says, uh, Uncivil Law, Kurt is covering Alex Jones. Uh, well, there you go. I, I do not know what everybody is covering. That's certainly the case. Terry says, I can't wait for Lawyers and Dragons. Absolutely wonderful. Good afternoon from Buriven. That, that had like a Russian accent. That can't be right. It's the Netherlands. Uh, but I gave it a try. Uh, hello from Santa Claus, Indiana. It's delightful. See, Indiana has Santa Claus. Michigan has a town called Hell. That should tell you something about the states. But hey, I love it here. Uh, Hogue, do you know anything about Wizards of the Coast suing TSR? Also, good morning from the Netherlands. I have it on my back burner. It might not get looked at until next week. I might also try to drag Mark in on this since he used to work at Wizards of the Coast, which might mean he will definitely not do that, uh, but we will see. Uh, but yes, that is uh, something, that attempt for injunction, request for injunction is something I had intended to go over this week. Uh, but frankly, Sony and Microsoft, which is my bailiwick, which is my purview, have just gone nuts uh, on each other uh, with respect to this uh, Activision acquisition. And I have another set of quotes that I probably will do as the video today. But on my list right now for folks that are interested is uh, the, the Bungie case request for dismissal from the guy that they accused of harassing them uh, that many folks, I guess, got reported to them as a dismissal. Just in terms of this space, I, you guys probably don't even need this, but there's a difference between the party asking for a dismissal and the court granting the dismissal. Um, I know that that's, that's probably already well past your even just YouTube law education, but folks are getting confused on that um, and asking me that question. So I'd intended to cover that as well. Uh, there's just only so many hours in the day, uh, right? So this is whatever it is, the seventh or eighth video I've done this week already. Um, and we're going to just keep going and we're going to hit the things that I think are the most pertinent in order, and then the stuff that isn't as time-based like the Wizards of the Coast injunction request, they just get kind of pushed down the line until there isn't something I want to hit on that pending day. Uh, so that's an explanation of my process, probably a longer answer than you needed, but definitely, definitely, definitely on my list. Uh, now I want Hogue to have a billboard right after a Mike Morse or Jumama. <laughs> I want... I want to every time. What is it? It's uh, if you're in Michigan, it is. I think it's the Sam Bernstein law firm that sponsors like the uh, Fox Sports Detroit like news desk. So if you're watching a Tigers game or a Red Wings game or a Pistons game and they cut to like halftime or the pre-show or the post show, it just has the law firm on the bottom of like the I don't know what you call it. I guess it's just a desk uh, that they give the news from. Uh, and it's always it's you know, it's the it's the Sam Bernstein call center and things like that. It's like, well, 
I mean, okay. Um, I don't actually think that that's the, the, the right way to, uh, to advertise for business services. I mean, one of the tricky things is like, I don't do personal injury law. I don't do litigation really of any kind. I have people that I send folks to that I trust and that are awesome, um, for those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a thing. You won't see any billboards, uh, but you do see me sponsoring things. I started out sponsoring MGO blog, which was our big Michigan sports blog here, which is still fantastic. I sponsored the easy allies uh, and got an ad read in the middle of their podcast. If you aren't familiar with them, uh, that was one of the earliest things I did in terms of sponsorship that led to help us out Hogue, which was kind of a, them asking me questions and I would respond by email and they would, they would read my answers uh, during their podcast. And that led in a pretty clear line to virtual legality. And now here we are in hangouts and headlines. Life is constantly evolving and you have no idea what direction it's going to go, but I find that to be exhilarating. And I hope you do too. Casual Friday, everybody. 300 people and only 92 likes. 92 is a pretty good number. Maybe we could get that over 100. I don't know, but I appreciate the consternation there. That's an exclamation point, a question mark, and an exclamation point. You can feel the passion. Thanks, New Begins. I appreciate it. Uh, Ashley, I think Nate is also covering Alex Jones. So we got a couple of people out there that at least people in this chat thinks is covering what you're interested in. So go check them out. It won't be on this channel. It's just not what I do. Um, but uh, there, there are probably folks out there covering this, this this stuff. Good morning from California. Good morning from Virginia. Good morning from Massachusetts. Live in Connecticut. Michigan football fan. Love it. Wonderful. Uh, we've got other people talking about coverage of various trials. We're going to scroll a little bit because we are already like eight minutes behind in chat. You guys are chatty this morning. I love it. Yuri says, usually late reply crew because I benefit greatly from the closed captions. But hi, y'all from Spain. Yeah, and I do know the closed captions roll in. Sometimes I get comments and say, hey, why is this closed caption like one minute after it goes up? That's an automated process. Um, so it takes just a little bit for that to process. But they do come in. All those buttons are clicked. Everything is turned on. Uh, it just takes a little while. Uh, Christy Hoke secretly wants a soundboard for voices. No, no. It's all organic. It's all original voices on this channel. None of that technological backing. Am I right, Ian and Rob and Emily? They do have a lot of fun with it, though. And they make me laugh a lot. They make me laugh a lot. Um, good morning. Checking in from vacation in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Awesome. Love it. Hogue needs a sound mixer. Hogue does not need a sound mixer. Hogue would only abuse a sound mixer. Uh, and and what, what fun would that be? Uh, uh, Natalie Lawyer Chick is covering it. Natalie's very, very smart. Love it. So there are people that are covering these things. Um, and I think that's great. Uh, Spooky says, today I am on bed rest for my lupus. Very sorry to hear that. But I have YouTube and Disney Dreamlight Valley. Dreamlight Valley is awesome, folks. If you have any interest at all in farming life simulation games and... Uh, uh, at least a moderate like or not dislike of Disney as a brand. Uh, it is a wonderful looping game that I ostensibly got for my daughters. And well, let's just face it. My Dreamlight Valley is looking awesome. So do check it out. Uh, EDB does entertainment type law. Yeah, yeah. EDB does a variation of, of what we do here, which is looking at legal questions through that lens of pop culture. It's just different popular culture uh, for the two channels here. She, she, also, she also swears a little bit more, but it is in the title of her show. So. <laughs> Yay, lawyers and dragons. Uh, Rick, you guys have to invite in and figure out how to bring in Spidey to lawyers and dragons. Right now, season one, I can make this pledge is lawyers only. And then if this is all becoming popular, and it seems to be, it's one of the most popular things on my channel right now, uh, then we'll probably expand to lawyers and dragons and friends or something along those lines. Oh, it's got to be and friends. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? It's got to be in Friends. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Uh, I love Lawyers and Dragons. Seen that old B movie with Tom Hanks. I think it was one of my his first films. Crazy? Well, uh, no, I haven't, as a matter of fact. Um, I'm late to the show. I was late. I was late. Uh, there's a need for tort lawyers knowledgeable about business association issues. I looked over a badly mishandled case by a small tort law firm that failed to properly deal with enterprise liability. You know, that's probably right. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Law of improbability. If I think of what the specialists are, you tend to go straight into like personal issues and plaintiff side issues uh, and very little about company side litigation for entrepreneurs and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, I've been doing this almost 20 years now. I'm, I'm just not a litigator. It's just not what I do. But I think you're right. I think that that's a space that we could probably cover better uh, because mostly I have to kick them up to the bigger law firms. And as we'll talk about, they have their own issues. One of them being they have, um, you know, strangling type legal costs uh, that can really that can really cause a problem. Will Notre Dame lose again tomorrow? Oh, we have people in Indiana watching this show. That's just me. Um, I don't know. Maybe. I feel really bad for the first year head coach because uh, I don't know that he's going to have a second year. Um, it's it's not looking good right now. Jill's Joy says, ready for L&D. How does one start D&D? A set? Uh, mostly you can start Dungeons and Dragons with just will. Um, as, as you can see, we don't actually need to use a board. We don't even need to use a player's guide. It's very helpful to have an, uh, an informed, knowledgeable game master like David is for ours. And David, if you're watching, you are awesome. Looking forward to Playing, of course, again tomorrow, but um, if you want to start out, I'd recommend the Player's Guide um, to Dungeons & Dragons just to kind of get a feel for what it is. Otherwise, it's all in your head. It's all imagination, um, and so it's really about how you want to play and working with the group. Uh, there are a number of folks that will ap happily welcome in people to one-off games. Uh, I did one with my daughter, who was very interested after Lawyers & Dragons started. Um, and had been interested well before then in case she listens to this or listens to it in adulthood. And I'm very sorry, honey, uh, for embarrassing you this way in front of your new boyfriend. Um, but when we started doing it, there was a group at the local comic book store and um, they just welcomed us in with open arms. And they love explaining things and they lent us dice and they, they talked us through all these various issues. And you can get a chance to see how different GMs handle different things. Because when you're calling for a stealth check, different people are going to have different notions of when that should happen and that's kind of the fun you get a feel for it and you get the group together and it's a reason to go hang out with your friends and eat pizzas or whatever um and i couldn't recommend it more it's just great to kind of stretch those muscles and have fun with it but there's no barriers to entry really uh but it, it, you might want to find somebody that does it a lot uh thank you for asking the question that is that is awesome when will we see a brain's origin story you want to like a one-off uh, just an entrepreneurial campaign where we just see brains from rags to riches where he owns now half of the kingdom. Um, that sounds awesome, actually. Uh, it sounds great. Friends forever. Friend. Awesome. Love it. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's a Buckeye. Don't feel too bad. <laughs> we love our Buckeye friends here. We are nice, casual friends here on Casual Friday uh, until that day in November when we are not friends at all and you are dead to me. But I'm dead to you, so it's pretty equal. Uh, thank you, Hoglaw, for that, for the Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for asking the question. That's awesome. Uh, NZ Butterfly Girl, Heather, also has a wonderful recommendation. Check out Ian's new channel. He's going over little bits and pieces of Dungeons & Dragons, which is a love of his as well. Um, but, but definitely check it out. Uh, let's see. All right. I think we're up to speed on chats. Everybody's feeling casual. Everybody's feeling fun. We have 500 people. That seems like an excellent time 
to go start talking about what are we even going to talk about first? Should we talk about the article or should we talk about Christopher Boozy and Bot Sentinel? Now, you know, the Sentinel stuff is is uh, is shorter, so maybe we'll start there. Uh, if you haven't been following this, uh, you probably missed Hangouts and Headlines yesterday. Uh, but but our good friend, friend of the channel, friend of institutions, young and old, friend of truth seeking and the deletion of misinformation. And I'm not saying that ironically at all. Hmm. Christopher Boozy has been on a bit of a warpath uh, in the last 24 hours, somewhat spurred on by real legitimate friend of the channel, Ian Runkle of Runkle of the Bailey, uh, challenging him on some of the things that he reported in this uh, what Rolling Stone and others have called misogyny report on YouTube. Now, this followed along with other reports that he had done on various other platforms like Twitter, uh, primarily in the defense of uh, Meghan Markle and Amber Heard, the latter of which has a direct financial relationship, the former of which is a little bit opaque and unclear. Don't know. Um, don't honestly care, but he's covered it a lot. And in this report, there were problems. There were problems with the way that he quoted, in particular, uh, another YouTuber that you might know from coverage of the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial, that umbrella guy. Uh, and you might have seen that umbrella guy, I believe was on Alita's channel shortly after Hangouts and Headlines yesterday. Um, and so it's gotten around uh, and he's been very defensive about the things uh, that he has wound up saying. This is the YouTube policies uh, document. This is the pinned tweet he has on his uh, Twitter content. And uh, he's been getting... Uh, comments uh, from folks uh, like Crazy Cat Queen 23 on Twitter, who uh, is a, uh, a follower of mine, says, uh, Mr. Boozy, why do you care so much? Why are you so concerned with YouTube specifically? And he answers to her 34 minutes ago. So minutes before this uh, show started, why do I care so much about targeted harassment and misinformation? That answer is self-explanatory. And no, consumers shouldn't be allowed to watch whatever they want. Should you be allowed to watch CSAM? snuff films, and similar content because there is demand. And this is interesting, right? Because the main thesis point here uh, is that uh, YouTube isn't doing enough to thwart material uh, like the one, the stuff he identifies in respect of two specific YouTube channels, uh, but most specifically that umbrella guy where she says, hey, he calls uh, Amber Heard. Uh, she's got those psycho eyes. She looks crazy. She looks crazy. And you can see, obviously, these are all different quotes, which is exactly what we discussed yesterday. Wait, no, it's not. That's that's not what we discussed yesterday at all. These these are these are separate quotes too. That's that's weird. I just I just pulled up the report again. It says September thirteenth, twenty twenty two. It's the same one. How hate speech, misogyny, racism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, targeted harassment, and widespread copyright infringement goes unchecked. Really doesn't answer any hows uh, in in this report, but that's fine. You, your titling is up to you. But this is kind of weird, folks. This is. This is odd. This doesn't look like how we looked at it yesterday. Well, you know what? The good news is I had actually downloaded the report when I covered it yesterday. That's weird. Well, let's see. Can, is there any obvious tell that this one that we were just looking at is different from this one? I'm I'm changing the tabs now, folks. Huh, that's that's super strange. There's, there's no indication at, at all that they're different. They both say September 13th, 2022 on them. And yet, huh, that's... That's weird. Okay. Well, let's let's take a look at the one that I looked at in the, the prior the prior sheet here. We got the same thing here that uh, YouTube needs to take extreme action against somebody saying Germans aren't good people, which is a stupid sentiment, but not malicious, uh, or at least not maliciously framed. And then we've got the, uh, oh, here we go. Yeah, she's got those psycho eyes. Oh, yeah, one quote. She looks crazy. She looks crazy man dip. Hashtag crazy man dip. She's a nut. 
she's she's discussing, oh, and yeah, this was all said together, except that Ian Runkel uh, brilliantly challenged him on this point, which, you know, to, to uh, Bot Sentinel's credit here, went out, went out with transcripts of everything, and Ian went through them all uh, like a dutiful lawyer uh, and said, oh, these are six hours apart. Oh, this is in a different context. Oh, the middle of this quote is gone. Oh, this isn't said together either. And, well, let's be honest, he was very defensive about these things. He's defensive about these. Why? So why does he care so much about targeted harassment and misinformation? Well, I, I, I guess it's because he, he likes to know how to best do it. I mean, certainly by appearances here, I, I hesitate to say anything like that about somebody, but you didn't mark at all that you changed your report and, and you didn't say anything and you, you keep referencing a disclaimer that doesn't exist in this report. And, oh, no, these are these are different. That's, oh, no, that's, those are, those are different documents. Ah, what? That's, that's wild, folks. That, that is, that is wild. Well, thankfully we have folks like Chris out there making sure that we don't have issues with, with misinformation or, or disinformation, because can you imagine if there weren't, if there weren't sentinels about, about this kind of thing, arguing with lawyers online, uh, impugning lawyers, right? This is a person that of course is, is interested in, in fighting toxicity, right? He says YouTube is a cesspool of hate speech, misogyny, racism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, and target harassment. Does he have that on a macro? You figure that's the same order that he put it in in the title. And they're monetizing that content. We need meaningful legislation to address this problem. Oh, okay. All right. So we got central planning coming in now. Now, the, the fundamental issue you have there is that we operate in the United States and we've got a First Amendment and there's there's issues with all this stuff that doesn't rise to the level of you know this stuff, uh, but it's just kind of concepts and ideas. But oh, okay. So now we, we need to have legislation on this issue and he's very stoked about various uh you know presidential executives being um a little bit misinformed about how cda 230 works and this isn't a party thing folks trump was too uh remember if there's anything politicians can agree on is that we get too much information and they would prefer us to have less sorry that's as political as i'm gonna get in this episode but it's the truth uh r d red and blue they all agreed the platforms are too strong, user-generated content too strong. We need to do something. And then you have them attacking random people. So here's good logic. Here's Joe. Uh, Joe, you are a lawyer asking people to pay to join your community for exclusive content. How dare he? And you have a YouTube channel advertising your Venmo. Again, how dare he? You are one level above a 40-year-old internet troll living with his parents. You are not in any position to call anyone out. Oh, snap. Thank God we have people preventing toxicity like this dude. Am I right? comparing political conversations, even if you don't like the politics, uh, to CSAM and calling out other people. It's like, you just live in the other person's basement. It's like being on a freaking 4chan forum with this dude. Uh, but okay. All right. You're allowed your thoughts. You're allowed your concepts. You are allowed your First Amendment protections, friend. And I'm glad that you are allowed those things because we are all allowed those things. But that doesn't prevent me from saying you're an idiot. And you are actually actively disseminating this misinformation and bully for you for getting the coverage that you do. There are willing sympathizers that will listen to whatever you tell them if the headline is right. And you have found your place. And honestly, I'm impressed. But I will continue in this space to fight against this BS with every fiber of my being. And you calling out random people like Joe or uh, like Ian, for God's sakes, uh, and trying to suggest that they are somehow wrong before sneakily, clandestinely changing your damn report. I, I don't know what to do with you, man. I don't know what to do with you. So 
Good luck to you, Bot Sentinel. The next report you have, you've already figured out your way to get clicks. I'll probably cover it because chances are it's not going to be rigorously prepared. It's going to be 30 pages of filler, and it's going to accuse people of doing things that you don't actually even prove within the report itself. So I look forward to it, Christopher. I hope you do too. Uh, or as I said, we're going to need a Sentinel to prevent some kind of stealth edits, aren't we? Another Sentinel for the Sentinel. You had it right, ancient Roman Republic. We need watchers for the watchers. Okay, so like I said, casual Friday. Did any of you guys know this was happening? My God, right? I mean, this guy. Hey, look, more power to you for figuring out a way to grift, but it's a real grift. All of this stuff is misinformation. And it's so funny because one of the things I would say is he was tasked with going into YouTube and finding people saying bad things and he failed. I don't even know how you do that. This is like easy mode. You go in, you find people doing bad stuff, and you wound up with 30 pages of one set of copyright infringing network channels, of which there are probably millions. And you come up with quotes like, Germans are bad people, which again is dumb. You fight against that with good ideas against dumb, bad ideas. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay, friend. It's not a malicious insult. It's... <laughs> It's not a racial slur. Uh, and, and you use that as your primary example. And you go down the list and you say things that are ridiculous. This person doesn't believe in DEI. I, that's Did I get that right? Diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah, DEI. Then that's that's fine. You don't have to agree with them. That You could say that's a silly position to take. DEI is great. You could take the opposite position. That's what this is all about, folks. That's what living is about is trying to figure out those things for ourselves and having those conversations. And you don't have to agree with them. I think somebody came into my chat and, and I said, swear jar warning, that guy's a real asshole, but it doesn't mean he should be banned from YouTube. And absolutely, that's where we come out. That is absolutely where we come out. Um, and, and, and speaking of somebody that some folks think is a real asshole that shouldn't be banned from YouTube, let's welcome Curtin on Civil Law to the channel. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. The segue was just laying there, Kurt. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's the nicest thing I've been called today. Oh, how are you doing this morning? I got to get I your mic up. Or, uh, let me get you up. I'll get your mic up here. I am doing great. I'm in great spirits. Life is good. Everything is good. <laughs> Mr. Apertoso says, why am I silencing Boozy's voice to power? Yes. Yes, he is. He is his voice to the power that is Joe at Good Logic and his mm -hmm. 80,000 such subscribers mm -hmm. through the minimal access he has to Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. Yes. However, will I mean, he survive? It's casual Friday, Kurt. I'm already in a mood. No, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know if you caught this as you were coming in. We were just going over the fact that Boozy stealth edited his report. We did. I did notice that. We noticed that when Alita was covering it, the stealth editing the report. Yes. Is this, yeah, place it's, come, is this the place I come for the toxic hate speech? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I honestly couldn't hear you because I got to adjust the mics a little bit more. Uh, what did you say? I said, is this the place I come for the toxic hate speech? I was promised, oh, no. I was promised toxic hate speech. Is that virtual I, legality? I'm proud of this community, right? We have talked about things of high levels of seriousness. Uh -huh. We've gone over Bruin. We've gone over Dobbs. We've gone over things that are of real import to people like Sony versus Xbox. And honestly, that's where I get the most hate mail. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but we've gone over things. We've done it with decorum. We've done it with interest in each other's humanity. And yet, I mean, I'm out there. I'm talking about this report. I'm defending Joe online. Well, you've you sunk real low then, haven't you? I know, right? At that point, at that, who won't I defend, right? Speaking of defending lowlifes, hey, Joe, 
hope you're listening. Mm. Uh, we're going to see in the report that there are some issues that folks have with potentially big law firms like Jones Day providing their legal services to basically anybody that they don't approve of. Uh, and we'll get to that. Like I said, it is a very fun episode today. Uh, but yeah, so you were on with Alita. I know that hers followed up immediately after Hangouts and Headlines yesterday. I was hanging out a little bit during the break in the Alex Jones trial because that was all day yesterday. And it's going to be at least my my morning. Are you covering I, that? Hmm? Are you covering the Alex Jones trial? I am. I, I have uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I've been covering it to see if I can, will continue to cover it tomorrow. But I okay. have things to do this afternoon, but I'm going to cover it at least this morning. So I'll cover I'll cover half of today. Okay. Well, we had a commenter asking, you know, why why wasn't anybody in the the YouTube legal community covering it? And some folks said, "Hey, Kurt's doing it." Uh, so I wanted to make sure we we tell you that. Yeah. Hope so far, we today, living for it. So I'm far in the Alex Jones trial, we've heard from the corporate designee from uh, from uh, Infowars, uh, Free Speech Systems, which is their parent company. And uh, we've learned a little bit about their business practices, which are roughly what you would expect if okay. you were just thinking about it, to be honest. Okay. But, and we've also learned a little bit about some of the specific statements that Alex Jones has made along the way, which might not be uh, what you might expect, depending on your familiarity. So, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, I again, people, are, you know, why aren't you covering it? It's like I don't know anything about it. This is not my bailiwick. This is not what I do on this channel. So, uh, absolutely, uh, go find someone that's covering it, like Kurt. Go, go, go. Listen to that stuff. You're going to get better information than you are here. Um, and so, absolutely, people think I'm spicy this morning. I don't know. I, you know, by comparison, I don't. I am all right. All right, hold on. Am I spicy this morning? Casual Friday. Boy, caliente. We coming? Yeah, there you go. Let's get some chili pepper emojis up in here. Um, yeah, I you know I don't consider myself being spicy, but yeah, if if you are going to be an absolute idiot, I I'm gonna I'm gonna back absolute idiocy because we're human beings and everybody's an idiot sometimes. I, At the point when it is shown to you, and then you say, "Oh no, I'm not the idiot. You are, sir. You're living in the other person's basement. We're gonna proceed like a toxic cesspool myself while I." I'm serving as the white knight combating toxic cesspools. And then behind the scenes, you do crap like this, right? Yeah. You do crap like this, then yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. I do. I do like the, uh, I do like the back to back. Can you send me both copies of that? I think I can. Yeah. Excellent. I, mean, I, I got them. The, got the them thing that continues to amaze me about these quotes is just how milk toast they are because we're trying to prove that, this umbrella guy, that umbrella guy is this heat-filled skewer yeah. of whatever. And these are the most milquetoast, banal comments. I, it's like, I, I've said this before, and I said this again. If this is what hate speech looks like, apparently we cured hate. Because this is so, like, it's this is the best you could come up with, really? Well, She's got psycho eyes, seriously? Well, this is yeah. hate speech now? What yeah, are well, you talking about? And that's the thing. I, I had said to this, I think it was before you came on, that, that this cat had the job of going onto YouTube and finding bad stuff. And unbelievably, he failed. Like, unbelievably, your top line item is Germans aren't good people. Love you, German Hogue fan club. I don't like diversity and I don't believe in equality. Well, I would say equity. Well, okay. But we I understand what he means. Okay. I, I, understand, I get it. That's something I might say. What are, we, what are we talking about? Okay, so before getting into the substance on any of this, Kurt, 
I will say this, that these are, I think you described it as milk toast and, and they are, I actually think you can easily find better stuff than this on YouTube, but the focus was on his either former or prospective clients in Meghan Markle and Amber Heard and, and trying to show off so that he focused only on those things and honestly came up wanting vis-a-vis -vis YouTube. And that's remarkable because I really thought if you're going to do anything, if you're going to describe Umbrella Guy as this misogynist, there's, there's got to be better stuff than this, right? There's got to be better. If he's that, I, and I don't follow this person. I don't go to this channel. And, you know, you hear his She's disgusting. On wow. And whatnot and get, oh, well, we didn't actually read these things. That's why we gave it to the bots, which is idiotic in and of itself and is an absolute uh, uh, statement of the lack of worth in this entire process and this report. But even if you grant him that, there wasn't anything that popped up better than that. Really? And so, look, I, I, I am totally amenable. I am the audience for you, Christopher Boozy, to say, here are the awful things on YouTube, and they need to look at their terms of service. They need to look at the way they're implied. And, and you, you want to push for legislation because, as you see, if you follow him, he's very pro-government intervention on everything, uh, which is fine. That's a perfectly fine political stance to take, but it gives you tilt for what this person is about. And you go. I, and you I, 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 I do like the fact that Christopher Boozy gives me a, an opportunity to prove that we're not just merely attacking women, unless he identifies as a woman, because I don't know. Because I'm just going to attack the shit out of him and point out that he's an idiot moron who is a censorious asshole. I'm sorry, that was a little too spicy. I apologize for this morning. I've already used asshole. Dude. Yes. Uh, censorious jerk who, who wants the state to intervene and enforce his view of whatever but i'll say this it's his right to be an idiot it's his right to say these things i'm perfectly happy to have him out there saying those things because that's what having conversations like this is about is talking about why this is idiotic talking about the lack of rigor in his reporting talking about the fact that he will turn on anybody with the same amount of toxicity that he accuses others of doing in a heartbeat you, you can go down this. Well, maybe I'll link to this to this Twitter profile and see him attacking everybody on Earth. John Judge Cannon is good full there. ultra MAGA for yeah, I mean, what is ultra MAGA? This is this is it. Here's here's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, I'd like to know why you didn't get past page two when accusing folks of hey, nobody told you that you would have been paid for Amber Heard. He keeps saying that there's this disclaimer on page two. Folks, not even in the updated version is there this. There's <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, this is the this is the report. Hmm. I I don't even know what's happening. He ident he identifies a disclaimer page. I don't even know what's happening. It's like a it's like a breakdown. <clears throat> so yeah, he, he didn't get that reported on. Rolling Stone had to correct itself. Ian uh, pointed that out. That correction. He attacks Ian. He attacks Joe. He'll attack anybody. Um. And you know that's not the way you actually present. I got his disclaimer right over here. If you're vested in getting better information out there, if you are vested in this process and you have those kinds of uh, controversies, you have those kinds of conflicts with people out there, the goal should be to explain to them why they are wrong and not to attack them and not to engage in this ad hominem stuff. Um, and, and that's not what was done. Instead, what you get, instead, what you get is stuff like uh, him constantly fighting over things just hang on we'll, we'll get there just, i did a, i did a few things yesterday um and uh and that includes going in and, and having an interaction with someone who says basically uh that i uh i'm misquoted 
he this is the accusation from Dr. Heinz Doofenshmirtz is that he looked at this. He said, I'll remind you that this person from Chris Boozy, this information on targeted attacks isn't exclusive. The difference is it's overwhelmingly from one side to another. We do see attacks from the left and it's predominantly women and women of color. <clears throat> no misquotes. And he puts them right here in the tab. And, and Chris Boozy's response is, if you're going to fabricate a quote, at least make sure there isn't a video, which is just perfect for this. I can't believe you walked into that one, my dude. Uh, and he says, you skipped it's predominantly right to left and it's predominantly women and women of color uh, in the middle of this quote. And that's that's a timestamp that does fit in in the middle here, 135, 137, 142, 144. That might very well be the case. And then you proved your own damn point. You proved everything everybody is saying about you because these quotes are six hours apart. Yep. And he's so disgusting. Is he, apparently they drop they water. drop a sentence that's that's fabricating a quote you skip oh, six perfect. hours that's a totally fair read it's perfect he's, yeah. if you're gonna fabricate a quote at least make sure there's a video true words mm. have never been spoken christopher boozy mm. and, and you did it to yourself you walked right into this yesterday while this was happening right this wasn't like i didn't go pull this from seven years ago and i i just i can hardly believe it and i can hardly believe this right this is headlines we're serious analyzers of journalism here. How can you not be more intellectually curious if you're at Rolling Stone? How can you not be more intellectually curious if you're just repeating these kinds of claims? How, how can you find yourself in the job of journalist and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm? How, how does that happen? Ian's not a journalist. I'm not a journalist. Joe's not a journalist. N none of that is happening anywhere here. And yet we're just looking at the thing and saying, uh, that's not that doesn't that doesn't rise to the conclusion that you have it at. You don't explain anything about YouTube or incentive structures or algorithms or anything else. So your how is wrong. You claim that this is establishing these four four or six bad isms, and you don't really establish that. And then you have thirty pages of copyright infringement, fella. I can find you three thousand pages of copyright infringement. That's why content ID exists. <laughs> uh, so you know, in any event, I don't know whether that makes me spicy or not. Um, HP says, I feel like too many people have forgotten how to admit they've made mistakes and instead become defensive. Folks, you can go through virtual legality and you can find updates in pinned tweets. I always call comments tweets. Pinned comments that say something to the effect of, hey, I wish I would have added this. Or here's a good commenter that says, challenges me on this point. I think they're right. And I will put those in there because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. I am not perfect. I do not have perfect knowledge or information about anything on earth anything. And the fact that you let folks like to listen to me is a, a great amount of, uh, of self-confidence building there. Uh, but I think it is <sighs> imperative for us all to admit that we make mistakes, that we are all human beings. If, if you're not humans. perfect, then I'm even more flawed than I ever realized. Uh, nobody's, <laughs> perfect. nobody's perfect. Now in the Hoglaw YouTube store. Uh, plastic noise experience. If a journalist wants to bring up YouTubers being defamatory to women and making up lies and misogyny, they should look into a Ryan Upchurch saying other YouTubers are doing bad things to kids. Hey, man, I'm not going to get into the YouTube drama of calling out very specific people on these various things. I know nothing about the substance of these particular claims, but I will say this. If you're charged with going and finding people doing stupid stuff, saying stupid things, potentially illegal things on YouTube, I got to believe you can do it better 
than Christopher Boozy just did in his report. Honestly, the thing that he should be most ashamed of is his lack of competence in proving that YouTube is accessible. Because honestly, there are aspects of YouTube, there are yeah. places on YouTube that 100% meet that definition. And the fact that you failed on perhaps the easiest mission ever given to someone yeah. in the year 2022. These are the quotes you got? This is, is your indictment proof? on you. <laughs> this is your proof of accessible, really? Yeah. Damn. Uh, Rolling Stone should focus on music and not current events. I don't think they focus on music at all anymore, do they? I mean, I, if you look at their top trending videos from what I discussed yesterday, they're all like, um, I think three are about Trump and and two are about, uh, I want to say, something else. I, I, they're not they're not focusing on anything. Maybe Trump Hope is working perfect. on a concept album. Lies, you're as close as it gets. I don't think I'm as close as perfect as it gets, but I, I appreciate the support. I do. Uh, uh, Mrs. Hogloss says he's been wrong at least twice. I like that. It's like a teaser. What do you mean, co-counsel? Hmm. Don't hmm. answer that. We'll talk offline. <laughs> Rolling Stone isn't even good for music. Pobody's nerfect. Pobody's nerfect is a great saying. I love it. Used to great effect in like the second episode of The Good Place, in my opinion. It's a good show. You should watch it. Um, uh, yes. All right. Okay. Now we can go to the main headline here. Kurt, do you know what we're talking about today? I don't know if hmm. you know. You just popped in. Said, hey, it could be anything. This is all just about. Uh, uh, it's all about an opportunity to hang out with my friend Richard Hogue. Oh, there you go. All right, Casual Friday. Vicky Ward investigates. So this is Vicky Ward. Apparently, it's a very flattering image. Uh, Vicky, of Vicky Ward. Ward. Um, this is it's... not obviously the New York Times. This is the Washington Post. This isn't uh, even the Huffington Post. Although we will see it referenced in just a second. Um, so I that sounds like the girlfriend of Batman. Um, Vicky Vale. Yeah. Vicky Vale. Vicky Vicky Vale. Sorry. I watch a lot of Chuck, folks. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, this person, I figured, since it isn't that kind of uh, masthead, uh, we should uh, we should take a look at who this person is. Uh, Vicky Ward Investigates is a twice-weekly newsletter from investigative journalist and New York Times bestselling author Vicky Ward. Well, it makes sense because it's, it's called Vicky Ward Investigates. I have spent my journalism career carving out a niche exposing the corruption that often occurs at the intersection of politics, money, and culture. I'm not sure that doesn't cover everything in the world. What is not at the intersection of politics, money, and culture? Hmm. Well, in any event, let's take a look at some of the things that she's written about. The mystery behind Jeffrey Epstein, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, and the possible self-interest behind the Trump administration, the link between Donald Trump and the Giuliani Associates, dark money in our elections, powerful families that control our politics, cybersecurity, the fight for America's most expensive building, and how Donald Trump lost it. We're seeing a theme, right? The real story of the personal feuds between the collapse of Lehman Brothers, the inside story of Fairfield Greenwich, the feeder fund for Bernie Madoff, things about the Guggenheim and Getty Museum corruption, Valerie Plamy, uh, the def definitive piece on the toxic battle at Hewlett Packard between Carla Fiorina and Walter Hewitt. Sounds interesting, actually. That one, that one went really poorly, really fast. And much, much more. Now, that obviously has a certain political bent, but one that we could attribute to the fact that the most recent administration before this one was, in fact, headed by Donald Trump. But... She seems to like that topic, and that's what we'll see discussed today. Now, she does say the right words here. I try to fly above partisan politics and avoid expressing any personal opinions about what I write. Hmm? That's what we try to do here. My aim is to show and not tell through in-depth reporting and to let the reader decide for themselves the thorny questions I tackle. That's basically the thesis statement that we have here as well. So it's really a matter of execution. Given that my documentary series, Chasing Ghislaine, based on my Audible podcast of the same name, is now streaming on Discovery+. Plus. These are things I can't say for virtual legality, but Discovery Plus, hey, Zaslav, if you're interested, call me. 
you can expect to hear news about everything from the fallout from the trial of alleged Epstein associate Ghislaine Maxwell. Is it alleged? I mean, maybe we're being a little overly <laughs> useful with alleged, don't know. And the collateral damage around it, as well as catch up with what is really going on on Wall Street high society in Washington, D.C. I wrote the 2019 book, Kushner, Inc. Again, we see a theme. Uh, before that, I was senior reporter at CNN and I was the editor-at-large of HuffPost. Um, so again, we, we've, we've got a kind of feel for this kind of writer, this, what they've got. You can tilt that as much as you want. Uh, maybe that's a pro for you. Maybe that's a con for you, but we now understand a little bit better what this person is about as we go in to the interview. Now, this is an interview of an author. So like I said, at the top of this video, we're going to use one of our rules, which is that this author is selling a book. And so we can't blame the journalist 100% for not asking the obvious follow-up questions to actually get to some of the details here, but we can blame them a little bit because it does make it uh, less useful, less interesting, and less illuminating, which at least based on that bio is exactly the opposite of what she wants to occur here. So let's take a look at this. Um, as I'm in the midst now of making three different podcasts for Audible that have to do with the complexities of the rule of law, the courts, and controversial high-profile lawyers, I was intrigued when David Einrich, whose work I have long admired, sent me a copy of his new book, Servants of the Damned. Giant law firms, Donald Trump, and the corruption of justice. Okay, so that matches up with what we have seen, kind of this person reporting. You can see uh, this is the graphical image of a $100 bill. M making justice more blind? Justice is already blind. We, we, have, to, we have to dissect the, the, the visual statement here. Justice is already wearing a blindfold on this statue. W what is the function of the $100 bill, Kirk? The imagery is confusing to me. Shouldn't the $100 bill be like lifting the blindfold? Shouldn't it be like in the corner, like making justice not blind? This this seems very confused. I know we're going too deeply into this kind of stuff, but it's casual Friday. And I'm just looking at it going, wait, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Corruption of justice. Also, uh, oh, okay. the the dollar bills, the $100 bill is not influencing the her judgment because the scales remain even. So the metaphor doesn't even work. <laughs> so the, the the influence of money apparently has not influenced her judgment. Look, look at Charles Forrest uh, here coming out with exactly yeah, shouldn't, the Yeah, shouldn't the $100 be on the scales? Or tipping, yeah, her, her, the, all the money in the world, even though it's covering her, her justice remains even and fair. Well, how do you get so, the money great. That's just great. I mean, it's, it's, it's like wearing a blanket over your head. How, I mean, I understand. Like I understand the concepts on a kind of superficial level, right? We've got a statue of justice and we've got a we've got a bill. But in terms of what your thesis statement is for your for your book, this is just kind of a mishmash melange of concepts that are linked to what you're talking about but that don't actually express what you need to say. We need to hold graphical design artists accountable <laughs> for this kind of stuff. So, no, it's it's fine. Uh, justice is viable. Again, I think that the proper image is like then the $100 bill lifting the blindfold or potentially moving the scales. Um, so, yeah. In any or, event. or replacing her sword or Justice something. is supposed to be blind, Moondragon. There is a blindfold on under this $100 bill. Like, that's how the statue looks. <laughs> the statue doesn't... I've got one on my counter here in the like, background. Imagine justice is on like the voice. Right, except it never turns its chair. Like that's the nature of justice. Okay, 
it is only supposed to be listening to the evidence and not to all this extraneous crap that we otherwise put on politics right. or social mores or Twitter, for God's sakes, Twitter, right? And so if it's already blind, if it's already turned around, what are we doing? <laughs> In any event, it doesn't matter. Uh, this was, oh, I accidentally clicked on something. Oh, I, I want to buy the book. No, I don't. I'm sorry about this. I don't. It's only $26, though. So not a hundred doesn't he doesn't need a hundred to write this stuff. He only needs twenty six. I bought the books of Chad Daybell and been reading them on my channel, much to the chagrin of my own audience. That's been oh, fun. Okay, he's the number one best selling author of Dark Towers, which I imagine he's probably of a similar vein. But I'd also like to believe it's like some kind of pseudo sequel to the Dark Tower uh, saga from Stephen King, and he's just really deeply into weird science fiction Western fantasy, and also happens to write about Donald Trump. Uh, but I digress. What, what would Dark Towers even be? It's probably something about money. In the book, Einrich, the New York Times business investigations editor. So this is, this is a dude with some clout, right? We talk about speaking truth to power and we laugh and all that stuff. But this guy, this guy is at the highest echelons here in terms of being able to get his voice out there. Looks at Jones Day, one of the world's largest law firms. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for certain, for certain lists that include, I, it's not, it's not. It's right up there at the top. And the ways in which he argues the firm has become corrupted, a shield for corporate interests, and also Donald Trump. Sure. Yet other than Einrich, no one has held Jones Day to account. Like, hold on. <laughs> I've, I've heard about Jones Day uh, and Donald Trump like seemingly every day uh, for a long, long time. Why is it that lawyers and law firms often escape unscathed from situations in which the rest of us might be held to account? It's a pressing, important question that we will not answer here, but we do have an account. Account for what? <laughs> Kurt, you're going to hate this interview so much. Account for what? What <laughs> do they do? There's so many of these sentences that are like that. It's 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 like oh, and they do these very bad things, and then there's not the follow. We'll get there. We'll get there. I we'll get there. Servants of the damned, giant law firms, Donald Trump, and the corruption of justice. Seems like it's going to be a pretty juicy book and long overdue. This is the, so this is two journalists talking to each other. Uh, so we've got, it's just journalists on lawyer violence today. It's, that's the theme of the episode, casual Friday. Um, and these are two journalists. Seems like it's going to be a pretty juicy book and long overdue. And I completely agree with you that the legal profession is a very underreported subject. We talk about the corruption on Wall Street, you and I both. We talk about corruption in Washington. And we leave the lawyers out of it for the most part. Not if you're talking about the corruption in Washington. They're all lawyers. I'm spending my time making three different podcasts for Audible. All that touch on the legal profession and corruption they're in and why that is something that there's not a lot of sunlight on. Do you notice, by the way, I, first of all, this is I'm saying this out of respect. How many times she talks about the podcast she's doing for Audible? I mean, you got to get the grift on. We it's respect impressive. that. We respect the grift. We hey do man, respect I've the given grift. quotes to people and I will say something like, well, as I said in the most recent episode of Virtual, Virtual Legality, Legality on my, my YouTube, YouTube channel. channel. You should find that law. Yeah, you do, you do that. You put that in there. Um, uh, all that touch on the legal profession and corruption therein and why that is something that there's a lot of, not a lot of sunlight on. So tell me what gave you the idea to write about this and sort of what your narrative then is. So first of all, I want to uh, dis claim some stuff here one of which is i did chat with emily d baker about this on twitter folks might have seen that uh, and she was interested in kind of the murdaw side of things and some really bad acting lawyers that we have seen in very specific spaces uh, this is not what's going to come up here this is very focused on jones day this is very focused on politics and 
Uh, there's a lot of protesting too much on one very specific justice concept that we will talk about when we get there. You will probably find it hollow. Uh, maybe, Kurt, you will as well, but chat definitely, uh, insofar as it doesn't cover on those super egregious things. It doesn't cover you know, the, the, the jewelry purchases and the stealing from the client IOLTA accounts. It talks more specifically about institutional representation of people that I would say this person finds um, uh, uncouth. We'll go with uncouth, not not desirous of getting the legal protection that they get. And then they'll see some raw assertions, but we won't actually get into uh, that kind of spicy coffee and cursy words type stories that always shock me whenever I go visit that channel. I've been covering business and the intersection of business and politics for almost 20 years now, says Einrich. And for every big scandal that hits, there is a giant law firm, often more than one giant law firm, but there's at least one giant law firm behind every scandal whether it is working to clean up the mess or to control information that governments receive or fend off angry victims in court. So that's for what lawyers do. It's kind of, it's just, Kurt's on it. So let's, <laughs> let's stop. Let's pause. Also, there's these doctors and they heal people. Yeah. And they, they sometimes heal bad people. And sometimes they heal, sometimes they heal bad people. The criminals go there with their bullet wounds <clears throat> and the doctors will heal them and make them better. And then they're out walking the streets. <laughs> that's that's Kurt. I think you nailed it with that. Honestly, that that is the the implied accusation here, which is like uh, the, these companies have lawyers. And it's like, yes, that's a function of doing business in America. I'm not sure whether it should be in all cases. I, I think the value proposition often isn't there. And I talk about this at length when I talk about the practice of law. But by the time you're in a crisis scenario, yes, you've got lawyers. You've also got a PR firm probably handling crisis communications. Um, and this is an important service that, that lawyers provide because at least in America, uh, we believe that everyone's entitled to a defense of uh, whatever they're accused of uh, and to have that conversation and to pay for those law firms. And that doesn't mean that a law firm has to take that job. And you can criticize Jones Day if you'd like and say, hey, um, you shouldn't be taking these clients in this representation. And honestly, that has worked with respect to certain law firms. And we can talk about that as well. And it's, and it's a way that I'm at least mildly uncomfortable with. Um, because again, if you believe in an adversarial system, if you believe in the legal process and the justice system in general, then as a lawyer, you are ethically bound. You've actually given oaths that you are going to serve to, to help that system function. Uh, and if you go away from that in certain important respects, I think that's that's potentially a problem. But profit is a motivator, uh, and I'm not going to disclaim that. I also want to give the kind of background for myself here because we're going to be talking about this, and I'll get my own tilt. Um, so I worked at Big Law in Michigan for my entire career before starting Hog Law in 2016. Now, Big Law in Michigan does not mean Big Law globally, but it does mean a lot of money, and it does get you the same kind of concepts for how clients are decided upon. The down, right, it, Richard. I'm sorry? We want you to take the chat down. It's blocking the screen. They keep asking in the chat. Oh, no. What, what are you missing? I don't. The moon dragon money makes. Yeah. I like. Hey, well, all right. I'm, gonna just I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just now you're getting law for a full 60 I, seconds, chat. That's okay. it. I mean, like, that's just how we roll here. Carry on. <laughs> just trying to be helpful. <laughs> you are being helpful. Girl. Lol. Um, so in any event, all I wanted to say on this um, in terms of background is that I did work for law firms that had multiple hundreds of lawyers. I worked at the biggest law firm in Michigan. It was known for its sharp elbows, which we're not uh, sure about that phrase means that it's fairly mean and caustic to people, whether or not that is earned or not, we're going to put that aside and leave that in the back office, but it is known for that in various corners of, um, of Michigan. And you can definitely see internal politics, office politics, how these things function. 
and how clients are decided upon. And there are absolutely external pressures that are put on uh, firms like this in terms of how they want to be perceived and what clients are okay with the firm representing a different client in a completely different industry that they don't otherwise want to be affiliated with or that they want to be affiliated with. All of these things come into these questions. And yes, at a fundamental level, that's how does this firm make money? How does it keep its lights on? How does it buy primarily the senior partners, private islands, um, and, you know, Walt Disney World suites and, and whatever. Uh, but to make that money, they are making those kinds of decisions. But as Kurt properly said, um, that company is going to have a law firm. So the way this tends to work in, in real life is that company is going to have a law firm. And whether you're doing an RFP or otherwise submitting quotes and things like that, or whether they just already have a working relationship with you, you want to be that law firm rather than have another party be that law firm because they're going to be paying those bills. They're going to be spending that money. They're going to get that legal representation. And that's what you do in large law firms. They will compile essentially portfolios of the attorneys that they would put on your case or that they would put on your matter that has their backgrounds, their CVs, what they do well. Um, and they will put their little faces down and you get a team and you will have the CEO if it's important enough. Uh, go to a closed door meeting and present the team that they would put on these, what they think the quotes are, why they think they're the best fit for you. And that happens across law firms all across the Midwest. And when I say Michigan law firm, it doesn't mean that we weren't competing with Chicago law firms. It doesn't mean we weren't competing with Silicon Valley, Los Angeles and New York law firms. Uh, it's just a matter of jurisdiction and geography. And at the end of the day, uh, we won a lot of bids. We lost a lot of bids. And I was part of those portfolios. Uh, and that's how this process works. They're going to be defended by somebody. And as Kurt rightly said, this is the doctor role. Um, and if we're really being nice to lawyers, and I know lawyers are lawyers, um, it's supposed to be a profession, which, which means that you do have those ethical bounds. You do have uh, concerns about how you're getting money and why and what you're willing to do and what you're not. And perhaps certain of these lawyers and certainly the law firms cross, cross lines. And I'm amenable to the fact, having seen it on the inside, that there are lines to cross uh, that hopefully you're not. And if you were, and if your firm is, then hopefully you leave and that kind of thing. Uh, but there are clear areas in which you can do bad things. Um, and that that's why it is so imperative for lawyers to have those ethical boundaries. So I'm, I'm amenable to this argument, but not as presented in this interview, as we will see. I think that you and I are interested in similar topics, but it is true that as journalists, one of the first things you do is to make your law the lawyers your best friends. Um, and I guess before we get there, I didn't cover this last sentence. The last sentence in the author's answer is, as a journalist, I've had a front row seat to a lot of tactics that big, powerful law firms use in trying to manage the way that the media perceives these scandals. And I've always been fascinated by how that happens. If you've been in virtual legality for any length of time at all, you know one of the things we talk about a lot is messaging, corporate messaging, crisis messaging, PR messaging. And that is because that is one of the things that I did uh, and do uh, in, in my life as a lawyer is help folks deal with very bad things and how to talk about them and how to control tone and how to deal with those. That That is a service. There's nothing wrong with that uh, in terms of managing the way the media perceives things because the media is also going to have its own desires and own ends. And everybody understands that uh, as part of these stories. Journalist on journalist here is maybe not getting to the bottom of the different things that motivate journalists to get their news stories out and how they're going to present things, but why there needs to be often lawyers, but at least PR managers to be helping folks understand what they can't say, because even something that is benign can be twisted if you're not careful about how you have these interactions with folks. And that's not disclaiming any of these people, that's not Ward or Einrich or anyone else, but you do have to be careful when you are in a crisis situation and you are talking to folks that are going to tell the public about what this crisis situation means. It's why 
No comment is one of the safest things to do. Even if you think it looks moderately bad, it doesn't look as bad as something that you say that would be mis misreported. Um, I think you and I are interested in similar topics, but lawyers, uh, one of the things, first things you do as a journalist is you make the lawyers your best friends. And Einrich says this. Ah, and you know, were just alluding earlier to the question of why this issue in general hasn't been talked about very much in the mainstream media. Certainly the law firms don't get covered very aggressively. And I think that's because of this phenomenon, which is that journalists deliberately are not by default kind of shy away from doing things that are going to upset sources. And I mean, I've witnessed this myself and I see it myself sometimes. And I think it's troubling when you have a great source and lawyers at big firms are often some of the best sources. The last thing in the world you want to do is write an article that is going to upset them. Um, and presumably he means sources for things that are active and that they can publicly speak on and not violations of attorney-client privilege. Certainly no lawyers would be doing that. But um, yes, there is a certain notion. I, I, I give quotes to basically every outlet in the gaming industry, and there is a certain amount of professional decorum there um, that might give a journalist pause in reporting negatively about me, but I don't think too much of a pause. I think if I did certain things here on YouTube or elsewise, I'd get reported on pretty damn quick, honestly. Uh, but I think that this is at least something to pay attention to. Yeah, journalists are going to be nicer to the people they know personally or that they interact with personally. And so we tend to view these law firms as kind of a sec accessories to the fact and they operate in the shadows. Okay, hold on. <laughs> accessories to the fact is a, is a legal claim and it puts specifically lawyers performing professional services in the defense of their clients in a negative connotation and light. Right. Yeah. That's to the fact is you helped them murder someone. You helped them spill that oil. You did whatever it is that the corporation is accused of doing. And, and no, law firms are not accessories to the fact. In general, there are criminal lawyers, right? Yeah, all the oh, criminal lawyers are accessories them. after the fact. I mean, they're yeah. all they are all trying to assist and give aid to known criminals. So, hey, there you go, they're right? known, first of all, at the time. Sometimes, um, Second known. of all... Yeah, you can't you can't treat lawyers and the practice of law this way. And I know this is one of the tricky things in law school, right, which is this notion. And he's going to disclaim it. He's going to say, oh, I'm not saying this at all, which is that everybody's entitled to a defense that the the shooters in the Boston massacre are entitled to offend, uh, a defense. Check out Trials of the Century uh, that the various people that we find abhorrent. Harvey Weinstein is entitled to a defense. Uh, I'm going to get these names wrong because this is not my, this is not my, Epstein is entitled to a defense. Maxwell is entitled to a defense. Um, I think we just saw a, a judge going off on the Parkland shooter. Still, that person is entitled to a defense, right? Um, and, and that's a tough thing for people to, to get behind. But the, the understanding is that the adversarial process is necessary to arrive at something remotely approaching truth. And if you believe in that, then having one side just control that adversarial process is going to be uh, deleterious to the pursuit of that truth. Um, and so we all agree on that to go to law school. We all, we all get talked to about the various processes and the way these things work. Journalists don't. And we're going to see some of those kinds of misunderstandings, even though this person understands that that is conceptually the case. Uh, he's going to fight against it a little bit. Uh, Kurt, do you have anything to add on that before I proceed? No, I, I just am curious how we're going to square the idea that everyone's entitled to a lawyer, but also the law firms are really, really bad for being law firms. I think mostly we're going to get by my book, but we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think that is exactly why so many partners at big law firms are so helpful to journalists. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you. All right. I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay this. I'm going to lay my cards down on the table. Um, big partners at big law firms 
are driven by ego. Okay. So you asking them a question about their area of expertise and saying, you are important enough to be able to give me this information is all you need. It doesn't go to the next level. It does not go to, wow, this could be useful for me in the future. And as a matter of fact, I can tell you that I've been on plenty of email chains where partners have talked to journalists. It hasn't gone very well. And what happens is that the PR department of the law firm, and yes, law firms, if they're big enough, have PR departments themselves, send a firm-wide email saying, we told you you're not allowed to talk to journalists on your own. Everything goes through the PR department. Um, and that's one of the issues I actually had with um, working with law firms after I left to form Hogue Law is I do this and I, I follow my own counsel on how to use these things. And, and those firms aren't very comfortable with that sometimes. Uh, but that partners talking to journalists is something the firm doesn't want. They do not want that. It is an exposure item against themselves, against their clients, against the bar association. They do not like not controlling that. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, it's why partners at big law firms are so helpful to journalists is to stay out of the limelight. Mm -mm. No, it's, it's, it's because, Ooh, they're talking to a New York times reporter. Guess who called tonight, honey? Uh, it was New York times reporter, Mr. Einrich, and I can give him some information and aren't I so important? Uh, the most important, honey. They're not. <laughs> well, it's, it's very accurate. Actually, they're not doing it because they like talking to us. They're not doing it necessarily even because they think it helps their clients. I, okay, I'm granting these points. They're doing it because I think in large part it helps keep us off their trail. Note how this works, by the way. I just told you that they like answering questions for ego. Mm. This response for why they're answering those questions is ego in the other direction, right? It's it's not, It's not. they're doing it because we're too important and we're just too damaging and dangerous. It's like, it's so interesting to see kind of human psychology interact in this fashion. I can promise you that at least half of these people are just like, oh my God, the New York Times called. This is so exciting. Um, and now this guy's saying, well, they're just doing it to keep us out of their trails. Like, no, they're opening themselves up to exposure that they probably don't even realize uh, because it's just so cool uh, to talk to the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And it means there's a very powerful incentive for a great number of journalists, myself included over the years, <clears throat> to really shy away from aggressively covering the legal industry like we would cover any other industry or any other big powerful actor that should be held accountable for what they do. It sounds like a personal failing. I mean, why in the world would you protect your sources over newsworthy items? Um, there's a powerful incentive to not burn your sources. Okay, but not more powerful than actually reporting, right? Surely. In any event... 100% agree on that, says Ward. So tell me about Servants of the Damned. I know you focused on one law firm in particular. I can guess why. I think we all can, Ms. Ward. So tell us about that. What brought you to Jones Day? Walk me through it a bit. Heinrich says, so I've been fascinated with law firms, as I was saying, for like a very long time. And I've kind of been looking for the right vehicle to turn it into a book and had not yet found it. Enter Donald Trump. And then in the fall of 2020, before and after the election, I was really fascinated by the way that Jones Day, which is this big kind of mid-market, not particularly super elite law firm, Burn I do love day. how you're giving all this shade to Jones Day. You're just giving so much shade to Burn Jones, Jones day. day. Here's where I also disclaim. Jones Day really likes to think they're one of the big boys. They like to say that they're day. the biggest for the best firm, and you're just shading all over them, man. As I should disclaim, I did interview at Jones Day, and I found their offer wanting. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the it's is, their loss because you're I don't the want, best. I didn't want to move. I can't even remember which, uh, which office I interviewed. I want to say it was Ohio. And I would like, uh, you, maybe you folks in Ohio can tell me, was it a Columbus office or a Cincinnati office? You have a lot of C named cities down there. Um, so no, I, I wanted to stay in Michigan. So it's not really that Jones day. You're fine with me. 
uh, <laughs> uh, that all of a sudden become very much entangled and gets and, call, and Jones don't Jay gives Hoka call on three, two. The Trump world. <laughs> Sometimes these folks do find these kinds of videos and they do, uh, do get talked to a lot by subjects of these. I don't think Jones Day is going to give me a call. Um, but um, I knew a bunch of lawyers there over the years from just talking to them about the industries that they worked in. And so I was really startled by the fact that by the prominence of Jones Day in representing Trump and representing the Republican Party, including some of the election cases. Now, I don't understand being startled. Okay, so you don't have to like Donald Trump. You don't have to like the Republican Party. You don't have to like politics in general. Somebody is going to be representing them. Um, and so why in the world would you be startled by one firm representing effectively the head of the Republican Party and the Republican Party? Um, you don't have to like it. I, this isn't this isn't you don't have to like any of these figures. Someone's going to be representing them. It's going to be a large law firm because you need that kind of capacity for this kind of representation. So why why would that startle you? We don't get any more information here because he's kind of on a he's on a roll here. It's a monologue. And so I started digging into them. And their backstory is really interesting. And at least it was to me, and I hope it will be to readers, because they, in many ways, embody this great transformation that's occurred in the legal industry over the past 40 or 50 years. Yes, where it was determined by the courts that the freedom of speech did, in fact, apply to the practice of law. I mean, not that long ago, lawyers who worked at big law firms did not consider themselves to be a part of an industry. We're getting into that long ago. We're talking about the 50s primarily here, the 1950s. So that's that's 70 years ago. Um, and the notion here, and we've talked about it in this space, I've even talked about it in this part of this video, <clears throat> was that soliciting clients was dirty. Commerce was dirty and it affected the profession. And we weren't, we shouldn't be advertising because the people that need us will find us. Mm. And what that turned into in a number of ways was one, it was a constitutional issue uh, because people have the right to advertise their services and even bar associations and things have run into constitutional issues with, in terms of trying to prevent people from saying things or mandating that they say things. We can talk more about that at length sometime, um, as I am a part of the Michigan Bar Association and have, of course, uh, dealt with certain things happening in Michigan. Um, and um, at that point in time, it was thought of as dirty. But understand that if you prevent everyone from marketing or soliciting, what happens to that industry? What happens is that Basically, only big law firms can survive or little law firms that take clients from big law firms. So you have this big law firm environment that's the only thing that's working with feeder law firms that came from that big law firm in general uh, and very, very high levels of difficulty hanging a shingle and things that might have worked in the 19th century. Um, and so you got into this bifurcated model and the big law firms were the ones that were succeeding. And so, of course, the big law firms are the ones that say, well, it would be dirty to advertise. We already have the clients. What more do we need? Uh, and so at that point in the 50s into the 60s, you start to get a breakdown of that model. Um, I mean, uh, they considered the legal profession to be a profession where they had to be kind of a public spirited officer of the court with much more of an allegiance to kind of truth and justice than to actually maximizing their bottom line. This, this was actually never true. <laughs> firms were always interested in maximizing their bottom line. It was just done with the patina of, of greater sport. Now understand this public spirited officers of the court is, is what we agreed to in our various state bar associations, uh, that we are officers of the court, that we are seeking out truth and justice, that we have those obligations. As you might hear Rob or others talk about on their channels, it says, Hey, if I find this case, if I find this piece of information, you just heard it from me and Runkle yesterday and it would go against me. I still have an obligation to make that known to the other side or to otherwise work with them. I've talked in my line of work about identifying when 
um, as a for instance, a bit of language in a contract that was offered to me was off the term sheet. They had drafted it incorrectly. It was part of 112 some odd pages mm -hmm. of material, and it actually resulted in a $4 million credit or a lack of exposure and liability that they had agreed to in the contract. And you know, saying, hey, you made a mistake here is part of the practice. That understanding that we're all human beings on either side and that the actual business term was this, even if they never would have ever seen it, is not a part of how we do what we do. Um, and yes, there are shady lawyers. Yes, there are shady people of every profession. Kurt mentioned doctors before. They're shady doctors. We might have met some in the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial. I'm still not sold on the prescription guy. Uh, but when we do this, we are under ethical bounds. More importantly, and this is going to become an issue as we go through this interview, we are under actual regulatory bounds. Now, they're internally regulated. Our bar associations are just us. They're just lawyers, but they are there. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. Well, that's the judicial branch of government. Yeah. So, right. I mean, that's us. Starting in the late 70s through the 80s into the 90s, that mentality really dramatically changed. Eh, 70s is about right. And the law profession became the law industry, and the mentalities of a great many of the lawyers and law firms radically changed. Understand these aren't the same people. It's always wild for me to talk about like companies from the 50s to the 2020s. Generally speaking, although you still do have the senior partner in the corner office that doesn't turn on a computer and can't figure out how any of this stuff works anymore, that's not how the firms are making money. That's that's just because he's on the name of the building and he's otherwise moving forward with his life. And we, we want to respect that. And it's it's just taking money from the associates anyway. Right. Big law. That isn't exactly how these firms work. And that is what has led to the moment where we see big corporate law firms taking on cases and clients that are very controversial and then using tactics within those representations that are very controversial. I, when you hear this, Kurt, what is your immediate reaction to this sentence? I'm honestly having a difficult time parsing the sentence, to be quite honest. Okay. So I will tell you why my initial reaction is like, oh, that's that, that is fascinating, interviewee. What do you mean by tactics that are very controversial? Can, can you explain more of what the hell you're talking about? And we're not going to get that from this interview. We aren't going to get any, what, who are you talking to? What are you talking about? Uh, tell me, I'm amenable. I, talk to me about how Jones Day sucks if you want. I've been on the other side of Jones Day and honestly, sometimes they suck. Okay, different lawyers do different things. I've been on the opposite side of almost every law firm we've talked about. And yes, they're all like, oh, it's the Midwestern guy. We'll teach you all this stuff. We'll tell you how to do all these things. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And every one of them drowns themselves is like, oh, God, Richard Hogue is talking. Again. No, it's, 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 it's not Richard Hogue. It's more like uh, Midwestern lawyers. It's like, oh, you don't understand. This is how the market does it. Does it. it was like, wow, I, as it turns out, I'm only doing this one transaction with you to sell my little company. And I actually don't care. <laughs> what the market does so can you explain to me why you need this provision well it's just it's just standard oh again that's not good enough but i'm just a lowly midwestern lawyer and i don't understand why you could possibly want this it seems dramatically unfair to my client could you please explain we'll take it out okay hey you're getting it done so that's all that matters are you kidding me small midwestern lawyer is how i operate 90 percent of the time uh, it's uh it's the the, the matlock uh <laughs> oh, it seems uh, that seems awfully rough as a provision, Mr. Man. Um, could I walk me through it? Because it just seems terribly unfair. <laughs> Reminds me yeah, of uh, like Chris heard Voss. my negotiation voice a little bit from time yeah. to time. Um, 
Let's see here. Uh, so Jones Day, to me, ended up representing this kind of perfect encapsulation of not only how a big law firm will get entangled with Trump, <clears throat> but how the entire legal industry got entangled with trying to seek out profits above everything else. So Trump's our entry point, and then it becomes, oh, you're bad. And then it's seeking out profits, which is what businesses do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's how doctors make money as well. But you have ethical burdens and oaths and whatnot. Uh, I'm looking at the back of your book, and obviously Don McGahn, Trump's White House counsel, is rather famously at Jones Day. There are quite a lot of references to him in the book. Oh, and it's not just John McGahn, by the way. I mean, that incredible thing about Jones Day, and I always forget that this is not widely known because I've been obsessed about this for the past years, but Jones Day was far and away the biggest provider of personnel to the Trump administration or any professional professional services firm out there. There were deputy attorney generals, associate attorney generals, up and down the food chain who came from Jones Day and then returned to Jones Day. And so when I say that Jones Day was immersed with Trump and entangled with Trump, it really was that. Um, yeah. So now we talk about the other aspect of big law, right? And if you want to accuse them of things that that's okay, I wouldn't want to be entangled in the Trump administration, but, um, they get value out of positioning themselves with government officials, whether that's regulatory agencies or governors or secretaries of state or presidents. Um, and they get that value by moving people in and they get that value by bringing them back out because then that goes on their CV. Now, maybe you don't want Trump administration official on your CV, depending on what your client base is, but to at least some extent, and maybe with less controversial figures, uh, it is seen as a boon by these law offices. And you will get the email if you are an associate or a young partner at one of these law firms that explains how awesome it is that this person uh, that worked on a governor's campaign or that was a secretary or was an attorney general or whatever is now sitting in your government relations office at whatever capital your branch office is located in doing God knows what. But honestly, isn't it awesome that they are here and collecting whatever salary we're giving them? And, and that is seen as a part of the client management process. Now, you can think that that is corrupt and horrible and everything else. I'm not going to necessarily tell you that it isn't. I'm also not going to necessarily tell you it isn't a drain on firm resources. It really depends on the person. But it is not unusual. And I would strongly expect, and I don't know the actual firm, that whatever the firm was for the Obama administration, whatever the firm is for the Biden administration or the Republican Party, or the Democratic Party, is positioning people in and out of their firm in order to get those kudos, to get that credence, and to be able to position to other clients that they've got an in with the government. Again, they can't say that. That's actually bound, uh, barred by ethics rules, but they can say where they came from. Um, and so that is seen as a way to market these law firms. And I don't love it, okay? I don't. But it's also not this kind of nefarious back office, darkroom dealing, oh, what are we talking about kind of issue that it's described here as. And I do think it's motivated in part by what seems to be either, um, let's call it a significant interest in the Trump administration from this individual that wrote this book. You've got a lot of talk, talk about the ties to Trump in here. You also talk about the fact that they've represented the drug industry, gun manufacturers, big tobacco, the Catholic Church trying to shield itself from allegations of sexual abuse, Russian oligarchs, Fox News. Is one of those not like the other? I don't know. How do you feel about Fox News? It really depends. I mean, it's a pretty big, long list. One's just a news organization, as far as I know. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I find them as, as lacking in truth content as really all of the news organizations, but I'm not. You make this list and you can see what the interviewer is trying to do. It's like, man, they represent all these bad dudes. Am I right? And then Einrich catches, uh, catches this and says, oh, I'm not going that direction. Right. Despite what I just said for three paragraphs. <clears throat> the thing I tried to avoid in this book is just falling into the trap of saying, look, I don't like this client or that client. Therefore, you shouldn't represent them. I mean, my personal preferences or politics are kind of irrelevant. That's the exact right answer, by the way. That's effectively the mandated answer for the practice of law and the service of the court and the justice system. 
and I do think there's a strong argument to be made that with some exceptions, seriously, interviewer, question mark, individuals and even companies that are facing criminal prosecution or in some cases, even important civil cases deserve high quality legal talent. Explain. I am very curious about what with some exceptions means. Who is not uh, deserving of high quality legal talent? Who? And are they also not deserving of high quality medical talent? Are they not deserving of phones? Are they not deserving of water? This are they not, not deserving of are, are they not deserving of groceries? No, it's a sad truth that not everybody gets the proper level of legal talent that they deserve, and that we could talk about constraints of money and legal costs and all this stuff. I'm constantly trying to improve access to justice, period. And I think the internet is the way to do that, much to the chagrin of some of my colleagues here in Michigan. But I what what are the exceptions? Like this is such a red flag. This is like an interrupt the answer type sentence to me. If you're if you're a journalist, this is the foundation on which our adversarial justice system rests. What do you mean by exceptions? We get nothing. So I've tried for the most part to confine most of the book to looking at not just cases or situations where they're representing polarizing car companies like Purdue or RJR or guns, but to really look at those cases when Jones Day, in the context of representing these polarizing companies, has resorted to tactics and strategies that I think many people would regard as improper or at least questionable. What tactics? What exactly. strategy? What are they? Sure, we're not journalists. We know what the follow-up question is right here, right? Which ones? What? Just not even that. It's like, well, obviously you want people to read your book and we're all about selling that here for you. But can you give us an example? Just a single example about what you're talking about. Because otherwise, this is all this kind of ephemeral cotton candy cloud of, well, we all know they do bad things. Am I right, Jones Day, folks? Yeah? Yeah? Uh... I'm not going to take it on faith from you, but what did Joe's do Jay do to you? That's yeah, the real question. Trump, Donald Trump and Republican Party. How, how they, like, they hurt the article answer. writer. That, yeah, that, that, that's the answer. And I'm not saying <laughs> that can be enough for you, but you still have to answer these questions that aren't asked. The, the, the response is right. Vicky, I'm trying to be on your side here. First of all, thank you for getting this kind of information out there, doing this wonderful sub stack. I hope you have all the subscribers in the world. Please ask the follow-up question here. You can't just say right. <laughs> so this brings me to the real reason that I find this subject so fascinating. There are so many instances where lawyers do that. If you or I, things that if you or I did them, I think they would be considered improper at best. Why did they get away with it? And that's the headline. Right? What things? Right. You you skip which the ones? Part. We need the paragraph here that says, "Oh, that is bad." I'm amenable. I've had bad interactions. What did we do? <laughs> I think a lot of lawyers suck. I'm your audience. Lead me to the water. In any event, so we skip that and we just assume this is true. All right, fair enough. Jones Day did some bad stuff. No, Let's not fair enough. This is bullshit. Close your eyes, everybody in chat. Just think about what's the worst thing they could have done. Okay, they did that. Let's pretend that we got we heard that as we continue. And then we say, right, of course. Um, so why do they get away with these things that we're all thinking about in our heads that lawyers obviously do? Well, I think there are two main, main things I would say to that. And the first is that the legal industry in general has done a really good job of shielding itself, not only from criticism, but from scrutiny in general by peddling the notion. So note this language here, right? Like this isn't written. So again, we give a little bit of leeway. This is him talking, but peddling the notion is very dismissive, right? Whatever I'm about to say is something that is obviously false. It's, it's peddling. And it's the notion that lawyers cannot be held responsible for the conduct of their clients. Uh, it's right in the rules of ethics, as a matter of fact. I mean, Jesus. It's it's one of the rules of ethics. Right. A lawyer, a lawyer, by their representation, does not take on the beliefs 
or assume the beliefs of their clients. It's 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 right there. I could go look it up if you want. Well, that's a necessary function of people are deserving of defense, yeah. right? Because yeah. if it weren't, who's defending the Boston Massacre shooters? Who's defending Purdue Pharma? Who's defending any of these things? Which if the adversarial process is working right and these are clear bad actors, then the hammer is going to be dropped on them anyway, but they are deserving of that defense. And if you take on their liability, nobody's going to represent them, which seems to be what you want. Because instead you spend the rest of this paragraph saying, I think on its face, there's a lot of truth to that argument, right? Well, yes, it's entirely truthful. Like even the most repugnant murderer deserves a robust criminal defense. Okay, we're rule. on board with this. You did use peddling the notion before, but okay. And I think rule. we can all agree on that. Rule okay. 1.2B, as long as we're here, we'll do okay. ethics rule. Up, rule. Ethics rule 1.2B. A lawyer's representation of a client, including representation by appointment, does not constitute an endorsement of the client's political, economic, social, or moral views or activities. It can't. It literally can't, or else you would prevent an effective defense uh, from people that are the, the, the most egregious potential uh, actors in the eyes of the public, Right. There's no question that's the case constitutionally. Okay, granted. So it's it's really more than a good argument. It's actually the way the, uh, the system works. But that does, does not mean that the biggest, baddest company has an unquestionable right to the best legal counsel when it's trying to find ways to undercut regulations or avoid tactics or bully whistleblowers or hide evidence of wrongdoing from the government and on and on and on. Okay, we have we have so much to unpack here, right? Nobody is saying that... Uh, the worst actor that you can imagine. Again, just close your eyes. Worst actor that you can imagine. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, whoever it is in your head, that's who we're talking about here. No one is saying they have an unquestionable right to the best legal counsel because the best legal counsel can say no. The, the best legal counsel can say, nah, that's too much trouble for me. Bill's not high enough, whatever it is. They don't have a right to that legal counsel, but that legal counsel sure as hell has a right to represent them should they deem it fit. So when it's trying to find ways to then do these very bad things, the first that you lead off with is undercut regulations, which is a full-on loaded term. Well, it, 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 it depends what you mean by unquestionable right to the best legal counsel. Do, do you, does the best legal counsel, are they obligated to work for you? No. But if the best legal counsel is available, you have an unquestionable right to hire that counsel. Yeah, to go seek that. To seek that counsel. You have an unquestionable right to use their services if they're willing. So the biggest, baddest company, in some sense, does have the unquestionable right to the best legal counsel that is available. Right. So... Well, and you get to the list of bad things that they could do, right? Undercut regulations. Now, this, this gets into really philosophical ideals, right? But like regulations are written in a specific way, and they're written in ways that you can comply with. There, You can comply with the spirit. You can comply with the, the letter. And the best lawyers are going to be able to get you more on the edges than the, than also sometimes regular, the regulations are dumb and need to be changed. Of course. I mean, they're the regulations. They're written so if by undercut people. regulations means let's change the regulation. Lawyers can help you with that too. Right. Well, and that's lobbying. And that's that, that, that's that government relations guy. I told you is, you know, sitting in Lansing uh, because he used to work in the governor's office. It's that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of undercutting, it's 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 a presumption that you not you don't have the right, and this is a problem that you get in in public discourse as well. You don't have the right to go and make sure that the regulation is applied exactly as the legislature wrote it, because they might be applying it more grossly. They might be applying it uh, to areas that it shouldn't be applied to, and you challenge these things. Right? Oh, One of the you're... biggest practice areas at my old wow. law firm was essentially real property tax assessment appeals. 
uh, right, where folks would come in and they would assess the property even after an economic downturn like happened in 2008, and they would assess it as going up in value by 40% and they would try to take their tax money and we appealed it. And that's undercutting the regulatory process. Uh, that is saying, hey, you know, that's that's not doing it. But that was one of the things that that uh, my old firm really did a lot of and did well was saying, no, you actually have to follow the rules that you put in there. Uh, and so I think one could frame that as undercutting. Um, avoidance tactics, right? Big firms, we talked about this. There's a chip stack problem in the justice system. And this is, I think, what he's trying to get to here, which is that, yeah, you can throw paper if you have enough lawyers and if you have enough money and you have enough time. Uh, and it can make things really, really difficult for people that don't have as many chips at the table. Um, and I don't think that's a great thing for justice. And I think that we probably need to look at the way costs are split in between these various things. But that's not unique to Jones Day. It's not unique to big law. Hell, there are small law firms that do exactly that because they have the time and they're getting a cut of the percentage and they think they can drive this to a settlement that will be lucrative for them. So that's a function of the system that I think can be corrected. And I'm adamant about that. But you haven't proven your point. Bullying whistleblowers. Again, what do we do with bullying? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? If I go up to the line, is that a problem? The lawyers that know where the line is are going to allow you to do more than what the lawyers that don't know where that line is. And then we get to an obvious criminal act, <laughs> right? So it's again, one of these things is not like the other. Hide evidence of wrongdoing. That's, 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 that's what do we mean by hide evidence exactly? Do you mean that I'm, that the, uh, their, their communications are privileged? Is that what we mean by hiding evidence? I hope not. I, I hope not. I hope it's not attorney-client privilege concepts. But like this is so. This is overall. We've got peddling the notion uh, that we don't take on the role of the client. So there's an indication here, just from the language, that he doesn't believe in this. And then a questioning of whether companies that do things are entitled to counsel at all. Really, you you frame it in these extremes: an unquestionable right. Nobody is at your. You are. You have butchered that straw man. You have lit him on fire, and you have sent him down the river. But that is not anybody's position. The position is that, of course, folks have a right to a defense. And yes, people and firms can do bad things. They can do bad things because they are people. You actually have to come with some receipts for an interview like this for me to take you seriously. And they might be in that book. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. Like I said, I've I have had to actually go read this now. Before. Um, and so I think the legal industry has done a really good job over the years of just preventing people from asking these questions in the first place, because to do so is kind of an affront to the American system of justice. I spend quite a bit of time in the book doing my best to really pick this argument apart. And I think there are a lot of holes in this argument, probably the unquestionable right one. Yeah, I mean, go butcher that straw man, my friend. Otherwise, everybody's entitled to a defense. And that's a hill I'm going to die on. Uh, What? I think the second thing, and here's where he really loses track of what is actually happening, is that there's been a wholesale effort to discredit and diminish some of the bodies that would normally be providing a check on bad behavior, in particular, the American Bar Association. Folks, the American oh Bar Association, I know this is going to strike some as odd, is not a bar association. Yeah, it is not a regulatory body. <laughs> it has no power over lawyers. It is not a bar association. And they have been absolutely hemorrhaging members because they, for the most part, become a lobbying group, which if you agree with them, great. Hey, yeah, give the dues to the lobbying group. If you don't, there's no reason to be a member of them at all. And so this guy comes out here and you're, this is going to get worse, Kurt. This is going to get worse before it gets better. But this guy comes out here and says the American Bar Association should be providing a check. Um, Jones Day has done a lot of really good, valuable, probably life-saving pro bono work over the years. But a number of their lawyers, including some of the most senior people at the firm who are almost uniformly pretty conservative, are, instead of doing the type of pro bono work that to me 
seemed like the natural stuff, like representing immigrants who are in need or people who are really struggling or organizations that are short on cash. What they've done instead is represented for free right-wing think tanks, which all tend to be very well-funded by big companies and political causes. So the issue that he has with Jones Day, let, let's just cut to the quick here. The issue that he has with Jones Day is that they perform services for Republican causes, conservative causes, whatever you want to put that in. And that's a perfectly fine thing to have an issue with, if, especially if you're not a conservative or Republican, right? Absolutely. It is not a fine thing to use as a broad brush. for. Is how the right wing not entitled to lawyers? What's the what is exactly is the proposition we're going for? Well, right now he's saying that they don't have enough checks. And what he's going to lead into this, but I wanted to stop here because his description of what's acceptable pro bono is not right wing think tanks, but instead immigrants and others. And what they've done instead is represent for free right wing think tanks. And so in the course of doing the reporting and fact checking, I went to everyone named and kind of drilled them on. So what makes this work pro bono? And obviously you're not charging for it. That would be what makes it pro bono. You got it. I got bono. it for free. Uh, but is there something beyond that that makes this pro bono? Because it does not seem to adhere to the American Bar Association guidelines which of course uh, this particular article links to. And for the most part, it's about whether or not they could uh, maintain legal fees, uh, right? From the ABA. Now this doesn't bind anybody at all, um, but this is a model rule of professional responsibility. And so some states would have adopted this and a good, a good source here would be looking at the state bar associations, which do in fact license lawyers in their jurisdictions. And a number of them argued against the ABA that we shouldn't be paying attention to them. Essentially, the argument basically boiled down to, maybe not quite these words, but that the ABA is just kind of a body of liberal trial lawyers that we shouldn't be looking to them as the arbiter of what's right and what's not. That's about right. I mean, they are. And that can be okay for you, especially if you're a liberal trial lawyer. And and, and yeah, like I said, more power to you, but, but that is what the ABA is. In fact, they're likely to face some constitutional scrutiny as to some of the stuff that they've advanced over the past uh, session or so about what mandates a lawyer has to say things uh, on the first amendment 8.4 g they will lose uh oh, by yeah. the way this is the kind of esg equivalent for lawyers if you're familiar with any of those terms the kind of concept of uh, being forced to take an oath or to otherwise say things on a, a moral uh ground uh, they're going to have problems with uh, and i don't think any of the states are going to adopt it except i don't know you know the California. pennsylvania tried pennsylvania tried to adopt that rule 8.4 g with the ethics yeah. thing oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, they uh, they adopted it and a lawyer actually sued over it or a person who was actually sitting for the bar. The federal court struck it down. But yeah, Pennsylvania adopted that model rule. Yeah, well, then and it struck it down. So nobody else will try then. Maybe I guess it was it was so obviously strikeable. It was so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they were they were mandating certain things and, and uh, you know, essentially uh, oaths. Uh, and you also see this when it comes to the nomination of judges to federal and state courts. Traditionally, the ABA has provided the Senate with a yes or no qualified or unqualified recommendation for judges who have been nominated. And in a number of cases, Don McGahn, when he went to the White House, was the person who was primarily responsible for selecting the judges. Trump would nominate. And a number of those people, including at least one who was until she joined a court, a Jones Day lawyer, they were deemed unqualified by the ABA. I can only tell you, folks, this is the problem with kind of expertise. This is one of the issues I have with the legal profession in general. It's kind of putting all of this stuff and quarantining it off in sections so that folks can say things like this and you don't necessarily know whether or not they're, they're being truthful or not. The ABA's qualification, unqualification process, if you look at these reports, has become very trial-oriented, very court-oriented, and very politics-oriented. And so if you are on the side of the politics of the ABA, great, that's wonderful. And then they put out these various qualification protocols. If you are not, 
Um, then if you're on the Republican side, if you're on the Trump side, then ignoring that makes sense because they have gone and made the, the actual process more political. And that's a question for the ABA. I would have the ABA be a better um, kind of uh, arbiter of things related to the legal profession, but they aren't. They're, they're a political lobbying body. I don't want the ABA to be lobby, the arbiter of anything ever. They are well, I, would, I would have the ABA be, be more uh, neutrally facing the practice of law. I would love for them to focus on access to justice and the internet, which has been languishing for two decades. Um, but um, that's, that's how you get into these various things. Republican conservative camp just really disdained the ABA's view of things. Because the ABA was putting a view of things in when a view of things isn't warranted in that process. And it really made a concerted effort to convince people that it's not worth paying attention to. Folks, <laughs> we don't get into my politics very much here. Uh, you would never, ever in a million years call me a Trump Republican, but I can tell you I do not pay attention to the ABA. I'm willing to admit that. Uh, and then Ward follows with, so there is no meaningful regulatory body and correct. In the practice of law, Kurt, there's no meaningful regulatory body. Did you know that? Uh, I did not know that because I was under the distinct impression that each state's highest court was the regulatory body of the uh, lawyers within its state. Well, and similarly for the federal courts, well, I, well. I was under the impression that trying to become a Texas lawyer, uh, I was trying to get approved by the regulatory body that is the Texas bar. What I have to ask, so I just typed in a so, search Google News for the word disbarred. I wonder who these people without authority are doing all this disbarring and banning yeah. people from practicing law. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. Seven lawyers disbarred in Florida. I mean, by whom? The people without authority? I don't know. I don't know. This lawyer was disbarred over $33 million in missing money. Not great, Bob. <laughs> Stealing from clients is one of the real party files. Yeah, 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 yeah. From, don't, from take, don't, don't, don't F the client. Don't F the client's money. What is the other one? I don't I, no, those are those are the two that happen in Michigan the most often. Yeah, don't have the client and don't have the client's money and you'll be fine. Yeah. So this well, by the time you get to this point where you're talking about an American Bar Association that really um, represents a very specific constituency. And I, I don't know whether they do it well or not, but it's not useful for an overall national body. Getting to the end of this saying there is no meaningful regulatory body in a profession talked to by journalists who ostensibly have ethics rules and have no regulatory body to come out down here and say there is no legal regulatory body when every freaking day I'm I'm thinking about the ways that in I fact it's worse it. than that because every month the bar sends me a journal yes. and in the back of that journal is an Which entire section reads. devoted to people who are no longer lawyers those are fun reads uh, yes, it explains uh, at the back of every state's law journal, I think, uh, are who got disbarred or who's who's getting probation and whether they've come back and what they did. Um, it's kind of like, you know, putting the skulls up around the gates so that you think about what you're doing. Um, but yeah, we have trust accounts that are mandated by our ethics rules. We can't mix money between earned and unearned. We have we have so many rules. We have a test on them and we can be disbarred and barred from practicing our livelihood if certain suited people in your state capital decide it so. Uh, there yeah. is no equivalent on the journalistic side of things. So this, folks, I'm going to do it two days in a row, is bullshit. Absolute, unmitigated, unfettered, uncontrollable bullshit. And it's designed to scare. And it's designed to scare in the defense of the freaking American Bar Association, which isn't a bar association and which probably wouldn't be allowed as an organizational name in any of the given states that actually have bar associations for fraudulent misrepresentation. But it confuses journalists and that's enough for the ABA.
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, at least in some other countries, including the UK, they have bodies that are responsible for regulating the legal profession that don't exist in the US. State bars. How do you write a book about this without looking at state bars? The industry has done such an amazingly good job at really shielding itself from outside scrutiny and criticism, including by the media, that I think it's largely viewed as untouchable. Well, that is very frightening. Thank you, very credulous interviewer. But last question, David. What was the most surprising thing you learned from reporting this? Apparently was, that uh, I don't need anyone's permission to practice law in Texas was the most surprising thing I learned. There are no I don't know why I paid all that money and took all that test and everything. Yeah, that is, that is weird, right? Why is there a bar? Uh, it's, hmm. I think the most surprising thing was really just seeing firsthand some of the tactics that Jones Day and the legal industry people used. Wow, that's, again, to help us, tell us, talk about them. I kind of knew some of the old stories about, you know, people being intimidated and people not wanting to testify because they were afraid of the big bad law firm that would come and get them. But I just figured that that was ancient history and that in this day of age, that kind of stuff would not be happening. So, okay, you're so you're super naive. And I was wrong. And I just found it really surprising to see. And again, this isn't just about Jones Day, but I identified a number of cases with Jones Day, both externally when they were dealing with plaintiffs or witnesses, or even in some cases with some of their own employees, where the law firm engaged in what critics have told me were really borderline. And in some cases, as I said, most lay people would consider improper tactics to get what they wanted. So that's the whole interview. It is like 17 assertions of really bad stuff, and you are left to your own. No follow-ups ever. I do, I do blame Ms. Ward for that a little bit. However, again, I do give leeway to the fact that this guy's selling a book and that might have been something that was part of the agreement in terms of this interview. But I wanted to talk about that because I don't like defending big law. You can probably hear even as I do it that I have problems with the way they operate in certain important respects. I left it for a reason and it was not monetary, Christopher Boozy or Taylor Lorenz or Kat Tenbarge. I didn't leave the job where I made equity partner to go make more money. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's not usually how that works. <laughs> so it's not about that. It's you a, reach it's, the top of the mountain and then you left. Well, I do think at some points in some, in, in some ways, my psychology is to go see if I can do something and then move on. Um, but it's not, it's not something I like defending, but that some of the stuff said there is so ridiculous by the time you get to there's no regulatory authority at all, it's crazy. The right way to criticize big law, by the way, is that they co-opt the regulatory authority and they put all their pro bono people on the damn bar. Like That's the right way to criticize because it happens. The movement I'm trying to make in Michigan at all was stymied by a number of folks that like the cartel, that like the protectionism, that like making things costly. And they all, all came from big law firms. Because I'm sitting out here saying, you know, it's really weird that we can't use professional services internet sites to actually put lawyers out there like, oh, every other kind of profession, including doctors. Um, but the cartel speaks and it's protectionism all the way down. And I will fight it. But it's honestly made me crazy. <laughs> it's honestly made me crazy here in the state of Michigan alone. So to talk in these certain regards is just I, I don't know. It's deleterious to the actual discourse. And I, I really, I really dislike it. And again, as I said at the top of this, they don't even talk about some of the really egregious stuff. The, the fact that we're not questioning the Avenatis of the world. We're not questioning the Murdoch's of the world. And that might be something that's worth writing a book about because there is a certain patina. There is a yielding to authority that lawyer as a title still has some kind of weight in America, which is great also unwarranted in a lot of respects. And when people do that and say, well, you're a lawyer, you, you, so I'm going to trust you on this. Don't do that. 
There are plenty of lawyers that will assert whatever the hell they want. Um, and don't just listen to them because they've got an Esquire or a lawyer or a big law firm or a small law firm in their profile or in their title. Critical thinking is for everyone, whether they're being told it by a Washington Post author, by the president, by a king, or by somebody that calls themselves a lawyer or solicitor or barrister. You have to do that yourself. And unfortunately, there's no real secret pathways there. So don't yield to my authority. Don't yield to this person's authority because a lot of stuff is wrong, regardless of your title. Sorry for the little tirade there, Kurt. But this, as I said, I, as the poll has said, 84% think I'm spicy today. At this point in the in the stream, I, I think they're right. I think they're right. Yeah. At least I got there. Um, there are definitely, oh there's definitely room to criticize the bar and of their protectionist ways. I called them a cartel. They are. <laughs> they're a guild. Yes, of course. Whatever makes it sound less cartel-like. <laughs> uh, let's look at some super chats here. NZ Butterfly Girl, Heather, on the bright side with people not investigating things properly, you'll never run out of video ideas. That's the bright side. Headlines will never die. Rolling on the floor laughing emoji. By the way, we love Spicy Hung. Thank you very much, NZ Butterfly Girl. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Secret McSquirrel, take down the chat box. It covers the article. Secret, you didn't have to put in two pounds to tell me this. Uh, I'm bad at remembering to turn the chat box off. I, as I said, nobody's perfect. Karen Hamrick, super sticker. Thank you so much. Very generous super mm -hmm. sticker. I love the... Uh, I love the effect you've got on the profile image there. That's so pretty very, cool. very nice. Thank you so much. Uh, Yuri Ultra with uh, just a, a $2 super chat or two euro super chat. That's awesome. Thank you so much for supporting the channel. Nicholas here. Boozy's on it again. Now we who did what he asked scrutinizing the report are called out as defending misogyny. He didn't really, did he? He didn't really. He didn't really say that we're defending misogyny, did he? We're not defending misogyny. I, I, he couldn't have said that, could he? Okay, nothing nothing more than usual from him. Uh, but yeah, undoubtedly, that's the, the overall thrust of his uh, of his argument. I would like to know what misogyny is on, on a whole number of levels. Like, what exactly is it? Accor even according to Boozy, what is it? Is it is it just any negativity or any criticism of a woman? Is that misogyny? It shouldn't be of a woman. I think the concept should be of women as inferior to men. I think that's the overall thrust of what being misogynistic means. Um, and that's where things get a little bit complicated because you can. Amber Heard has crazy eyes and has, is misogyny? Well, I don't think so. But I, th I think the argument goes that he'd be willing to say that about any given woman that he disagrees with. Right. I think the parsing there is difficult because you can look at it and you can say, no, Amber Heard is. Um, deserving of this level of criticism because of what that event was um, and what, what what seemed apparent as lies in the trial setting um, and saying that, that that's a problem and you've, you've lost my faith. This individual woman has. And I think in an ideal equitable society, you would be able to say this individual woman is bad um, and is doing bad things. Um, and I look, I'm not an ad hominem guy. I wouldn't, I'm not out there anywhere and I wouldn't comment on like appearance like that. I wouldn't say psycho eyes and things like that. Uh, but I don't know that that's indicative of um, more than commentary about a particular woman over, over women on the whole. Does that mean that I know for a fact that any of these individuals aren't actually misogynistic? I don't. But I think we got to be careful with those definitions because it is a it is an important accusation here in current society that if you are found to be misogynistic or any of the other isms that he puts on the front of his uh, of his document that's gonna be very bad for you long run in social media world in terms of 
professional capacity. And so well, that's what I, that's what I think it's really about. I think that's what it has become. The label, the label, racism, misogyny. I don't think really means anything other than a way to label someone with a scarlet letter and dismiss them. It means yeah. whatever it means whatever they need to mean in order for the label to apply so that people can dismiss them. Yeah, I, I think Natalie B has this right. If she were a man, he wouldn't be criticizing her like that. Is the argument? I, I, it's possible. I, the, the problem with that as an argument is you have to read people's minds, right? Like, is the outward indicia that we have misogyny? I would argue that it isn't. It doesn't mean that I'm going to sit here and tell you that you're wrong if you think the internal monologue is misogynistic. But I do think that we have to be careful about wielding the powers of either influence, politics, or platform on our saying that's that we are sure that this is what's happening in another person's mind. Because uh, mind reading, I don't know, maybe maybe some psychic somewhere in the world is not a, ca a capacity, is not a power that I have. Um, and so I, I think when you say this needs to be regulated against, this needs to be legislated against, this needs to be done something at the platform level, you got to be really careful if what you can actually show maybe doesn't lead to that conclusion that you want to draw. But I, 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 I thank you for that clarity. I think that's a good, um, I think it's a good concept of, of what it means. Um, uh, law of improbability says kind of the opposite. And so far as the eyes of the wind of the soul, it's believed people will talk about psycho eyes. I tend, I mean, you, there's a whole episode of how I met your mother about crazy eyes. Uh, now how I met your mother uh, one could argue is misogynistic. I don't tend to think it is because I think everybody's in on the joke, but I think you couldn't necessarily air that show as it stood then as it is today. Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting conversation to have, uh, as well. Um, what else we got here? Um, I think we have another super chat. Uh, NZ Butterfly Girl, I don't get why Boozy is picking fights with law tube lawyers know how to argue face palm emoji. Well, it's it's weird. I don't think any of us want to want to fight necessarily. Maybe Ian when he was tired. Um, but yeah, you just go and you look at the details it, and whatever bears out bears out. You know, if those quotes are right, that's great. Um, if, if something else is happening, we're just paying attention to what's happening as it, as it goes along. Ideally, when you write the report, you're not making those kinds of errors because this is important and you're trying to get in Rolling Stone and elsewhere. And uh, we would have people that are going to take those positions of influence, be more careful with how that influence is asserted. Headlines on non-casual Fridays predominantly exists to point out, thankfully now good and bad examples of when reporting is done and trying to take into account you know, all sides of a particular issue or report on the facts as they understand them and clearly mark where they're editorializing and things like that. And unfortunately, as was said in a comment earlier, it doesn't appear like I'm ever going to run out of material here because journalism is in a bit of a nadir and um, I would have them be better. I think they can be better. I think the Cat 10 barges and the Taylor Lorenzes of the world can be better. I, the people that you want me to, you know, disparage and throw under buses, I'm not going to do it because I always want to be espousing for people to be better, to reflect on what they're doing and to hopefully do it better. But, you know, they call it into question my overall thesis every damn day. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very nice. Nice burn. So, yeah. Uh, Yuri says, uh, How I Met Your Mother loved it, but you're right. Barney would get killed today or something. I don't think Barney can run as a character today. Like, I don't. And and the funny part is, is he's treated as a joke, but it's also treated as kind of a sadness or, or, or sickness. But in sitcom land, right, we're not doing very special episodes of How I Met Your Mother. Um, and so I think you could have those conversations from a, from a place of humor, but I don't think you could run Barney Stinson plotline, who is, is one of the, the better characters invented by TV in the last 10, 15 years. I don't think you could run them today. I don't, uh, casual Friday says, Mary, all fired up for the weekend. Lawyers and dragons. Absolutely. Be better. is just so vague. 
this just reminds me of how much I hate um, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier because that speech that he gives to the senators and it ends with do better or whatever. It's like, my God, I, I, I really like Falcon. I really like Anthony Mackie. I think he could be a great Captain America, but my God, the writers are trying to kill him. They are trying to kill him. Um, and I, I Marvel, whew. Uh, the ending to how I met your mother was a hate crime to good story writing though. The ending to how I met your mother was rushed and a mistake in the context that they provided it. But the overall concept I will stand behind. Um, execution was lacking. Um, all right. I think we're about ready to turn it off. This is two, two plus hour yeah. uh, hangouts and headlines in a row here on the channel. I hope everybody has a great Friday. I hope everybody has a great weekend. We will be here, Lawyers and Dragons, tomorrow at 10 a.m. Kurt, what are you up to? Well, immediately following this stream, I will be starting a new stream on my own channel for great. the Alex Jones trial. Great. We're on day three of the trial, and we are picking up where we left off with the corporate designee. I'll be covering at least this morning and some of the early afternoon. I do have to leave earlier today, so depending on when the court ends, we might miss the very end of it. But I'll be covering that today on my channel. That starts right now. So please go out and check that on my channel on Civil Law and join my chat. Hang out with me. It'll be fun. All right. Fantastic, Kurt. And everybody, like on your way out. We'll see you next time. Might be a virtual legality today. Might not be. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us for so long. And I will catch you hopefully on Lawyers and Dragons tomorrow. Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend.